0: Uh, Zionism is racism. Israel cannot be both. Israel is either a racist Jewish state or it's a democratic state for everybody. And that's what I would like Israel to be. I'd like a democratic solution, one state with equal rights for um, uh, all its inhabitants. Uh, Your organization, Human Rights Watch, issued a report last year uh, about... Israel Mm -hmm. and the conclusion was it is an apartheid state and and there are four major human rights groups in the last two years Mm -hmm. who issued similar reports which the same conclusion Israel Mm -hmm. is an apartheid state so apartheid is racism apartheid is discrimination but Israel is the only member of the United Nations that I know which is officially racist. And I say this because of the uh, July 2018 nation state law which says Mm -hmm. the Jews have a unique, unique right to Mm self-determination in Israel. (laughs) Unique means exclusive. It means Arabs have no right to Mm self-determination. It means even if Arabs became a majority, mm-hmm. they would still have no right to self-determination. Mm. So but most certainly Zionism is a, um, is a racist ideology mm-hmm. and it is largely responsible for the anakba that has unfolded throughout the last century and continues today.
1: Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Thursday, January 25th, 2024. Thank you for joining me today. I've got a big show, a lot to get into, and it's going to be a long one, so stay, so get buckled in because we have a whole bunch to cover today. Definitely going to get into the larger conversation, Gaza, Israel. And an important element of that, which I've touched on, discussed more than once, but specifically going over the UN resolution that, you know, democratic process voted and the vast majority of the entire body voted that Zionism is racism 20 plus years ago. Of course, that was voted later down the line and changed, And it's a, you know, flowing process. But the point is that on the record, this was established and upheld for a very long time and you know it's just in, in incredible that we can heal still have these kind of debates and now the world is becoming acutely aware of the lies that have been told we're going to talk about that early on in the show today but we're going to start with an important conversation about informed consent something that uh, Josh Walcos put out that I that we when we've been discussing and kind of going over the the illusions around the way they play with informed consent but I wasn't aware of this. He recently covered a document that was put forward, HHS, FDA, at, at December of last year that came into effect this month that quite literally argues, and we'll go into it, think of it like a gigantic loophole that they define the parameters of, of when they can decide when your informed consent's just not necessary after what we just went through. It should alarm the hell out of you, and it overlap that with everything else we're talking about. Why would we need to ask their consent? Well, we're testing out new experimental processes, but we're also after that going to get into, and the the vast majority of the show today does apply to the Israel-Gaza discussion, but we're going to talk about the Zionism point about the UN and the perception of it and the historical proof that Zionism is a racist concept and it's an apartheid state and what that really means for the larger conversation, pardon me. But then we're going to get into the point of what's currently going on, the current stats. And and really, I mean, it's hard. I don't even want to try to break down all the different parts. Like I'm really in today's show is going to be important for if you're not caught up on what's going on and in the inner, the different pieces of these stories from August heart organs, theft of bodies that were dug up and their excuses around that the 24, 21, 24 plus people they claim were killed in regard to the detonation of their own, which they won't tell you, but their own deployment of. Uh, controlled demolition devices in order to bring down civilian infrastructure documents and articles in Israeli media that have come out that have exposed that that is what they were doing. And in many cases took down entire blocks without any justification. I mean, it's coming out left and right, which was one of the ways I framed all of this latter part of the show in an interesting way. You can see very clearly. And and this one video comes to mind that they've lost control of the narrative in Israel. And this has been going on for a long time. I mean, again, I wrote an article or rather, uh, titled my show, I think, what, a week into this conversation, post-October 7th, that Israel has already lost control of the narrative. I'm clearly correct on that. It wasn't hard to see. Many of us noticed that. But today, I can see very clearly That They've lost control of this from within, and I'm not just talking about the families of the hostages who have been screaming that they don't care about their family members from the very earliest points of this, and they still are. Your media and your government act like they don't matter, or rather they don't exist, and call you racist for not going along with what their government wants to do, while their people and those families are telling you the same thing that, that that we're telling you, but a bigger point. The corporate media, the different even kind of quasi-corporate media outlets, they're now beginning to open conversations about the Hannibal Directive, about the fact that they were lied to about some of the most egregious, if not all of the most egregious propaganda, 40 beheaded babies, the rape allegations. They're having these conversations on on news desks in in corporate Israeli media. I mean, think about how wild that is. Our media hasn't even uttered the word Hannibal Directive as far as I can tell and showing you that they've lost this. So their people are now beginning, becoming very aware that not only were they lied to about all of the things they thought they were fighting back against for the most part, including the fact that Israel's been funding Hamas, this is all coming out, but on top of that, that they are actively what appears to be trying to kill their own people to cover up what's going on. And this is not what, I, I, you know, I agree with this, but this is what they're discussing and their people are putting forward in regard to Israelis, not just Jews, but Israelis in general. And it's it's, it's really powerful to see. Now, we're also going to talk about the U.S. perspective of this and how how embarrassing it is that they're trying to act like we're not at war with anybody, and we're going to get into the basic definition of war and how insulting it is that they play these games and how that overlaps the larger conversation of foreign policy in Yemen and China as well. But the hostage situation we'll focus on toward the end in regard to Qatar and Egypt and how that shifting dynamic is exposing everything. The humanitarian aid continuing to be shown to be held up by Israel. And even Egypt is now standing up and saying, how, in, how dare you claim we're doing any of this? And you can show all the lines of you can show them cheering. And even Mossad put a tweet out praising the Israelis that blocked the aid. So it's very clear that they are speaking out of multiple sides of their mouth here and it's being caught by everybody. It's an important conversation to see how much has changed and how many people are beginning to, at the very least, question things they've never thought they were even allowed to question as if there's anybody telling you what you can and can't question, or they're telling you that, whether there's anybody who can truly stop you from questioning what you want. My point is there's people that go along with those things, and they're finally starting to go, I don't know about this. Maybe Zionism is racism. Maybe these people are what we've been hearing, and thank God, because you know what? They are. And it's finally coming out. And it's not about religion. It's not about anything other than actions by powerful people who put the less powerful under their boot for whatever the hell they want to achieve. So let's start today with the illusion of free speech on the platform that's always been everyone's screaming about the savior of free speech, Elon Musk. Well, here's another example of how that's working out. Max Egan, how I'm sure you're all familiar with. If not, make sure you check out his work. I believe it's the Crow House. Was apparently censored. So much free speech on this platform—it's almost overwhelming. Here is his account, and this is not one of those he's been kicked out, can't access it. But this is his account's been suspended. And now, and look—he's someone who I respect for the fact that whether I agree with him or not, and anything on everything he's talking about, he says what he thinks. He does not. And that's that's there's very few people like that, and I count myself among them that do not care about w- censorship in that regard. I will say what I think on any platform with anybody talking to me because we all should do that because I believe not because I think it's bombastic, but because I believe in what I'm saying and they just happen to not like that truth. And I see it that way. But however you want to see it, my point is I believe in what I'm saying and I stand by it. He is similar to that. He's exactly like that. And he'll tell you what he's thinking and it can be contentious sometimes. Good. Not for Twitter, though. Not in the free speech bastion. They can't accept that obviously you know what this is about max has been going to town calling people out about their lies around israel doing some of the things that i've been doing much more as far as i can tell underneath eli david and eli levy and saying you guys are lying and here's how i can tell they don't like that clearly and you're going to see this more and more as we go forward i mean even like i, don't, I decided not to even touch on it because i don't find it as relevant as many other things that are happening but elon and ben shapiro just did their ridiculous tour about acting like that has anything to do with what they're doing to people in palestine right now and acting like that's all that matters is all this historical pain and the october 7th day that happened which of course there were crimes and we should care about that but while they're pointing over here they're outraged that anybody goes what about the genocide that's happening what about the thirty-two thousand people who have been killed over here you're a racist you hate jews that's the dynamic that's happening, and they're losing because that's not working for people. But nonetheless, Elon toes the line, goes along with the whole thing. or doesn't realize that he's being used. You know, you guys can decide for yourselves. But I want to show you how ridiculous this game is. Here's what he just put out on the 23rd, stating, you know, oh, my God, if the Ireland prime minister decides to pass a law about hate speech, we can't just go along with that terrible thing you mean like exactly like you guys are doing on twitter safeguarding information independence and combating hate speech i mean what's the difference here because he's a person in position of political power who is able to pass a law that people that that's sure a difference but you're criticizing him under the argument that should that happen it's unjustified well what's the difference between a massive power behind twitter censoring and choosing not to or you know dictating what is and is not around this completely benign, like the idea that hate speech is just words. There's no laws that say you can't say certain things. It's all about feelings and uncomfortable concepts where people feeling they're upset or feeling outraged or feeling insulted. Quite frankly, I don't care. You guys should, if you guys are at the point in in your lives where people's mean words mean enough to you to try to censor everybody's speech, you're a maniac. I can stand right beside you and say, these people are disgusting. What their, their ideas make me sick, but they have a right to express them. We used to understand what free speech actually meant in this country, let alone on a platform or anywhere else. Now look, yes, Twitter, of course, could, as a private company, can do whatever it wants, but then don't stand up and pretend that you fight for something that you can prove you're not fighting for, a la Max or any other example you could put forward. Now here's another one. This just happened on Twitter. She says, I went from hate to violent speech. Now, do you see violence? Here's what it says. We've gotten these before where you say something that's completely benign and they just don't like it. So it becomes violent speech or what, you know, your words end up making other people do X, Y, and Z there at this point, it is, it is the exact problem in a very different way that we had on the last Twitter. In fact, I keep saying this, it feels much more surreptitious and alarming than the blunt censorship that you got before. This is social engineering we're watching play out. But it said this post was detected by our systems and it's been visibly limited. We've determined that your post violates our rules against violent speech. Again, before they just said it was hate speech, which proves to you yet again, which we should need to prove, that they're absolutely censoring what they deem to be hate speech. And yet he stands up and makes a big statement about what Ireland's going to do. How disingenuous. But the point is this is what it says for the podcast. I do not, in all capitals, condemn Hamas. Hashtag heroes. Okay, you could disagree with that. I quite frankly would condemn many things Hamas carried out on October 7th and many of things they did before. Of course, you have to bring into the context that they were funded by Israel and that they've been bolstered and supported by Western powers to use them against the Palestinian state, but none of that seems to matter for the conversation. Nonetheless, I don't care if this was ISIS. You're telling, or whatever you see as the, you know, again, you know, funded by West, of course, and controlled and used, same difference, but I don't care whatever you think is the worst group out there. Does she not have a right to say, I don't want to condemn them? I don't agree. In fact, I like what they do. How is that against the law? How is that censorship worthy? How is that violent speech? Because the people you don't condemn do violent things. Therefore, in some backward, abstract way, you're you're promoting their. I mean, my God, this is control over what you can think. These are thought crimes. Free speech, guys. Let's all praise him for the free speech bastion he's created, right? Well, here's another interesting point. This is Chris. He's a community notes. Con- uh, c- uh, contributor, whatever that really means, but there's a lot of these groups, these people, and he, I mean, his account is 44,000. Now, what he's telling you here is important. And he says, "Let's talk about community notes." He goes, "I'm one of them." Basically, what I'm seeing is a direct attempt to silence, censor, deprioritize, demonetize, isolate, and cast doubt against anyone that questions the current plans of the governments, big pharmaceuticals, parasitic ruling class. Think about that. This is a person who's doing this and he can see what he, what he, and he's breaking down for you with videos and everything else that this is being controlled largely by a few entities with a lot of influence that he can prove in his opinion are not human because of the amount of conduct. So we're watching AI and different things, probably stemming from exactly who you might think right now. And, you know, just, you know, multiple entities I would point out, but in this kind of dictating the free speech, hate speech dynamic that are actively keeping this going. Now it says, Enterprising Desert Raven, which is one of the names he highlights in this, one of these accounts, is the username for a single Community Notes contributor. Since joining Community Notes in March of 2023, it has posted nearly 5,000 Community Notes. A bot, he asks, a group of paid ag- agenda activists, or three-letter agencies, none of which should really be allowed in the way that Elon acts like this works today. One thing is for sure, he writes, in my opinion, and it's impossible to be a single person. It is posting over 70 community notes per day, every day, seven days a week without rest. Hardly. I mean, does he have a job? These notes have to be backed up with linked supporting evidence. It's not, it's just not possible in his opinion to achieve this on a daily basis. No, look, I, I'm sure somebody could do it and work even at the same time. If they just happen to make every moment count, but the point is it's highly unlikely it says, this is a relentless attack on anyone that dares to question the things that they ha- that have happened to us or the plans they have in place for humanity. Community Notes works on a basis that when a contributor sees a post and wishes to correct that post, they create a note that provides them information and links to data with support their note. Now, that doesn't just go live, right? It says when enough, or, so we're told anyway, when enough, one more thing, I would be willing to bet you that there's obviously a way that if Elon or somebody in power wanted to make it happen, they could. But it says when enough contributors apr- approve the note that this individual have put up with their supporting evidence it then goes live if contributors don't agree with the note they state why they can add counter information this all happens behind the scenes it's then not published but left pending unless other contributors then agree with the original note and so on i find that important to understand how at least they claim that it works attached is a video of all the community notes that desert raven has added both published and pending in just the last 10 days it'll blow your mind this is from within the community notes section, so you'll not normally get to see this. The vast majority of these notes are impending, waiting to go live. The video goes on forever, and it's only the last 10 days worth. Impossible for a single user to create, he argues. There's no doubt that you will know someone in these videos, and you will. You'll notice the recurring themes. They protect jabs, big pharma, current government regimes, which includes Israel, climate change, World Economic Forum stuff. Isn't that interesting? Big surprise, because Elon's totally not overlapped with all of that stuff, right? Anyone that questions what's going on that has a large follower base appears to be targeted, especially blue ticks. The community notes that have been approved all appear to be supported by the same group of contributors. This is really bad, extremely concerning. Yeah. He says, I will individually contact every single person that has had an attempt to depopularize their post in this video. Of course, he tags Elon. Like, I think I, I, it's kind of shocking that we can't wrap our minds around the way that he's aware of this, guys. He has to be. He, you urgently need to do a complete audit of community notes. Or, I mean, you could argue that it's just a benign, like, lack of concern. Just let it happen the way it happened and doesn't care. Either way, it's still, he's still responsible for this, or Yakarino, however you want to look at it. They are either bots, groups, bad actors, and so on. Now, here's what's interesting. He says, IP and MAC addresses access would easily identify this. Well, what do you know? So you can look at this one of two ways. This is either a real attempt by an individual to go, hey, there's a problem here, and it's not as real as you think it is. Or it's a lie manufactured to justify getting more personal information from you to pretend to fight a problem that's not there. Or it is a real problem, and they're trying to use that real problem to get your personal information, and that problem will probably never go away because they're probably making that happen. Problem, reaction, solution. All these are certainly possible. Either way, it seems the solution becomes no more anonymity. And it all goes away. I just feel that does not. I'm not trying to say this person knowingly is doing that. But it feels very suspicious to me. Now, you can watch this video. It's crazy. It's 30 minutes long. I mean, it just goes on forever. And every single one of these things, of course, Twitter freeze is a terrible platform right now. It, it is unreal. And you can look at all this stuff. You should take a minute to look through it. My point is that we cannot trust this stuff, guys. We are not being told the truth. So let's go. Well, actually, for, before we get into the informed consent, I've been putting some uh, some effort into getting some more posts out on the Substack. I recently put up one of our recent. Oh, uh, here, let me, this is this is the one from Taylor's recent interview. We keep putting out clips. We have a bunch more to come out, which is called disse- Dissection of the Aorta, a rare heart condition observed in COVID nineteen injected patients another one coming out in a couple of days in regard to the sperm aspect of the spike protein and so on. I just put up one of the clips that we did in regard to the the brain virus, the GM nanoparticles. We put out the clip about the uh, appeal discussion and so on. So more coming your way, make sure you check that out. If you'd like to support us on Substack, obviously this is a good way to support the platform. And it's, it's a, you know, you get all the, Basically, the ability to comment on these things, everything's free, as I told you. As I've told you, it always would be, but we do get the monthly chats and so on. Like the, the you get the Zoom meetings with just me every month, essentially. And I, I'm thinking I'm trying to find some more ways to uh, find this to be, you know, to, to give you benefits and so on. But really, the point is always everything's out there. You know that we put it out for free. If you want to support us through this platform, it's just a way for you to support this T-Lab in general, like on Subscribestar, for example, where you can sign up, even though that content is free elsewhere. It's behind paywall, so you can choose to support us through that if you'd like, like Rockfin and so on. But we need your support, as always, so check it out. There's going to be a lot more coming out through Substack in general. Oh, and by the way, we have a a Pirate Stream episode coming up soon. Uh, At this point, as you guys know, it'll be just Courtney and myself and uh, it looks like Catherine Austin Fitz might be joining as our third mic. Uh, we have a lot of guests lined up for the third chair in general. I think we're kind of going to leave it that way for now, but keep an eye out for that. Now, this is something I was recently sent, and this is just, we, we actually just talked about this, but I wanted to make sure you saw just how real this stuff is and how concerning what they're stating in this is based on the fact that this is a failed concept. The whole damn thing and I should have just grabbed this to begin with, but this is the, the one that Dr. Fauci put out that literally says that this has failed, right? Rethinking the next generation. And if you read the whole thing, it's very clear. that You know, we have to stand back and reevaluate because it didn't work. We have to find a way to get the mucosal immunity, blah, blah, blah. But we're talking platform style mRNA injections. This is what it's about. So I'll include that so you can see that they are openly saying didn't work. And- we damn well know that by now as people are wildly suffering around the world because these shots are still being given. But this is the next step. Or really what I argue was already there. In fact, was the original Pfizer shot was labeled as self-amplifying. But now they're coming out with this as the next step. Safety and immunogenicity of specifically the, the title for it at the moment is VLP-CoV-02, a SARS-CoV-2 self-amplifying RNA vaccine with, guess what, not N1-methyl modified RNA, but a modified base of 5-methyl cytosine as opposed to the methyl pseudouridine. And you know why? It says it right in the article because we have too many ad- adverse events. <laughs> you mean you're completely telling us outwardly anywhere else that everything's safe and effective, but then you try to make a whole new one. Why? Because we have too many adverse events. But if you ask elsewhere, but no, we're all fine, safe and effective, but your whole justification is that it's not working. Like, just realize how like invest, like intertwined with this system is inherent dishonesty. They know that they're hurting people with what they're giving. They're still doing it anyway. I mean, let's say it more specifically: the people involved with these shots and doing this scientific research seem to be acutely aware that these things are hurting people. No one seems to want to stop that, and they state why they're making this new one is to alleviate those adverse events. And we're trying something different to do so. This is from the twenty second of this month. First in human study of SA, self-amplifying RNA, COVID-19 vaccine. And it's not organic, natural. It's, it's the SA RNA, which is like the mod RNA, right? So we're talking about, again, the 5-methyl cytosine modified RNA. Now it says, uh, with the modified base 5-methyl cytosine incorporated of 5-methyl cytosine to reduce the magnitude and frequency of your adverse events. You know, otherwise totally not happening at all, but we're going to make this so it stops those things that aren't happening. Robust induction of antibody responses. So again, just like I showed you in the recent shot they're pushing, there's no correlation of protection. We have no clue if this massive response you're seeing has anything to do with what you're currently trying to protect yourself from, or that we tell you this is to protect you from. We just go, well, it's got a hell of an antibody response. Are the right ones? We'll we'll find out, won't we? (laughs) Clearly, they're not. Especially when you realize that they're aiming—what was the one we talked about—the malaria or the Ebola shot. They're aiming it at very specific strains. So, I guess you just gotta hope that that's the thing that comes along if you think, think those are there anyway. It says continuing emergence of variants of concern. Are you concerned? <laughs> they, they seem to keep pointing at these things that are drifting into the background of being totally, you know, benign, essentially, with with more transmissibility. If that's even what's actually happening, that's their narrative, even, and yet they still argue more of these things are happening, which. What are they doing? Reducing vaccine efficacy. Oh, so the new things that are coming out today are reducing the efficacy of a shot you got four weeks ago or a year ago? Explain that for me. No, what's happening is your body's destroyed and these new shots are being tailored to try to fix that, I guess, in some new way or get a new response. You can't pretend that a new variant that just came out is in any way affecting the efficacy of something you took already a while ago. You can argue that that doesn't meet it doesn't effectively stop that, but it didn't effectively stop what you gave them first. It's just this game of just like constantly pushing this forward. And now it says the VLPCOV1, so there's two of them as always, and don't, let's not forget how they always seem to swap one out for the other when you're not paying attention. But guess what? It's a lipid nanoparticle encapsulated self-amplifying RNA COVID-19 vaccine with a complete, oh, excuse me, comparable Immune response to BNT162B2, the, the one, by the way, that was labeled as self-amplifying when it first came out. Comparable immune response. Well, I don't want anything comparable to that dangerous, dead, deadly shot they gave everybody, but it doesn't even say about safety or efficacy. It just simply says comparable immune response. So you got this many antibodies. Is it for the right thing? I guess we'll find out. Don't worry about antibody-dependent enhancement or any number of other issues, which, by the way, we'll point that yet again, they've told you about. The idea that informed consent needs to be told, that you need to be aware of the fact that these things very well can cause antibody-dependent enhancement, but they never told you that. It goes on to say, serum SARS-CoV-2 immunoglobulin titers increased during the four-week post-immunization. So just making it very clear, they're giving you titers for specific responses to what, the, you know, to what they're giving you. Where in this does it make clear that this Well, obviously this isn't even the right stage for that, right? They're not in the ep- the efficacy game, but even then we well, remember they just simply do the response. So what they're telling you is, look, we've we got a big response. Well, I guess we'll find out whether it has any effect on what they tell you is actually happening. Now, the bigger point for me is the fact that we're talking about the continuation of giving people something that creates the spike protein. The most, I mean, obviously dangerous aspect of what we're dealing with, or the fact that it's still utilizing the mRNA platform discussion, but they're adding a whole other concept, which I'll probably have to do another deep dive on, 5-methyl to lower the adverse events they tell you aren't happening. But at the same time, I guarantee that's probably, I mean, how is that not just another experiment? They're just rolling the dice out like a game of Yahtzee and say, oh, well, look, we can line it up that way. We, this has always been an open experiment, and I think we're starting to see that. And a lipid nanoparticle concept just leaves the door open for everything we just discussed. Who, God only knows what else can be added to these things using nanotechnology that we've already discussed. And I'm not saying there's any evidence to that exact concept happening yet. I quite frankly feel certain that it has, but that's my personal opinion. But we just have to recognize that that door's open it's not hard to see how much could be done without our knowledge and that gets into this exact next point about informed consent as they actively di- dissolve break down and you know disjoint the entire concept and I'll show you why I use those words in particular first to the idea that these are failing and they are indeed failing if that's even the appropriate word for it Aussie 17 shares the fact that the Italian police unions have been sounding the alarm specifically over a surge in you know, sudden deaths of officers after COVID nineteen injection, like this is being just like the Israel conversation. This is being publicly pointed out. Not just that we're baffled about deaths, but that we're baffled, or rather, we're concerned about post COVID nineteen shot sudden deaths of our officers. What I would I would argue this is just what all of them are seeing. They just have the courage to point it out. Airline pilots, I mean, all the stuff we keep seeing. Or just how about the point we should really focus on the act? Just a almost like a global breakdown of how many people are randomly suddenly dying at perfect health. I mean, it's overwhelming. I broke it down in 2021 through 2022 with just athletes. As you remember, people are still only beginning to discover how big that was and use their studies, both the FIFA study and an NIH study to prove to you that it was astronomically more than they'd ever seen in a given year. In a perfect world, that would have been a worldwide story, but of course, not when T-Lab talks about it. But the point is, this is very clear. Here's the actual video from their account where they're telling you alarm of sudden deaths and illness with the italian police the number of vaccinated police officers who died suddenly is continually increasing how do you run from something like this it is coming out this is the old shot and they're pumping out the new ones i mean i just find that unreal but thank you champagne joshy or josh Walkos here for noticing this and i really truly believe it's because of things like we just saw and the ongoing experimentation that's not just about testing this shot. in my opinion, it goes much, much larger than that. And I'll actually cl- include oh, that's weird. The title will pop up. I'll include some of my recent shows for you to look at. But here's what he wrote. This is the Federal Registrar, and we'll go over it in a second. The this is you know, the basically where this stuff can get gets posted. Ooh, what was that? You see that pop up just now? Oh, it's that right there. Never mind. I thought there was something changing. But this, you know, they post these things about government processes and so on. But I'll include these for you guys to check out. Here we go. This is the one I was looking for. I'll just grab these last three that I think are important. You know, and the question is simply, is smart dust already in use in the population? And that's that's an unequivocal yes. The real question is whether it is a large deployment and whether it's, you know, ubiquitous in the world. This stuff, as you watch the show, which I hope you will, goes back, you know, 2000. I mean, this stuff's been around for decades at this point, and it's not talked about right now. And my next step question was, was COVID-19, whatever that was, an attempted experimental next step? And this gets dark. This gets into stuff like internal biosurveillance, actual control over your thoughts. I mean, these are real things that are discussed in peer-reviewed science and military documents, and yet the average people will laugh it off because it's just conspiracy theory. Which has just got to be one of the most ignorant phrases I've ever heard today. But he says, just so you know, the FDA and the HHS made it so that informed consent could be waived by what the IRBs, which are the, uh, where was it again? The In- Institutional Review Board. And it says the new rule went into effect two days ago. He posted this on the, tw- uh, y- yesterday. now he included the link thank you for that he says you should really take the time to read the convoluted reasoning they employ in response to the critical comments submitted basically they say that in certain situations informed consent could f up our plans and we have to be able to waive it as he says the standards referenced in the comments emphasize the importance of voluntary informed consent for research participants as stated in the proposed rule obtaining informed consent from those who volunteer to participate in research is a fundamentally important principle of human subject protection. However, it's like the old saying: anything, everything said before the word "but" doesn't miss meaningless. There are there are some situations in which important research cannot practically be practi- practically be conducted if informed consent is required. How in the world do you possibly make sense of that? This rule permits a waiver of consent, not by the people involved, but a waiver by them without your knowledge. And I'll show you next. In limited circumstances, consistent with the statutory amendments Congress made in the Section three thirty twenty four of the Cures Act, that's from Obama timeframe, which by the way is uh, which was used, utilized, and allowed to continue during Trump, and same with Biden. Just like it's never, you always want to make it about one side or the other. Your government is doing this to you. That's the reality. Here's what it says. Institutional review board waiver or alteration of informed consent for specifically what they call minimal risk clinical investigations. And I'll come back to that next. I think it's very important to understand what that actually means. The, the scope of that statement, there is a definition to it. Now, again, this was posted or or completed uh, at the end of December, 2023. It went into effect on the 22nd of this month. It says the FDA is issuing a final rule to amend its regulations to implement a provision of the 21st Century Cures Act. This final rule allows an exception from the requirement to obtain informed consent. So you see it's from their side. When a clinical investigation poses no more than, quote, minimal risk to the human subject. There's there's a definition to what that means. And of course, the absurd part of it is they'll tell you the COVID shot is safe and effective. They'll tell you that was a, those trials are completely safe. And in fact, there's no problem. Like they'll tell you that is within that concept. And we already see this. There's all sorts of dangerous stuff. The FDA and the EPA and the CDC completely allowed to continue. And we're going to allow them to decide behind the scenes without your knowledge, whether or not it necessitates that. Like it's completely undefined. Despite the fact that it's defined. This concept has a definition. My point is, we know that they don't just go along with these things. There's going to be some political abstract concept about what they, and of course, then they can use other policies and other legislation to kind of bend those parameters, right? We see how this game, mission creep of medical freedom. But it says, goes on to say, it allows the, the exception from the requirement of informed consent when a clinical investigation poses no more than minimal risk to the human subject and includes appropriate safeguards to protect their rights, safety, and welfare. So they're omitting or rather o- foregoing informed consent, which is designed to safeguard your rights and safety and welfare, and just saying that as long as you claim that you're doing those things and it's, no, it's minimal risk, then you can just forego that. Well, that's what that's for in the first place. I find it hard to believe that they would care about that if they forego the thing that's meant to protect that. It says the final rule permits an institutional review board, an IRB, to waive or alter, whatever alter would mean, certain informed consent elements or to waive the requirement to obtain informed consent entirely under limited conditions, whatever that ultimately means to them. Again, that's how this is played for certain FDA regulated minimal risk clinical investigations. Now, down here, it says, for an IRB, the review board, to approve a waiver or alteration of informed consent requirements for minimal risk in clinical investigations, the rule requires that that review board find and document five criteria that are consistent with the revised rule entitled Federal Policy for the Protection of Human Subjects. So all this is about experimental work or which I guess, you know, just testing on human subjects and the fact that there's ever a a, dynamic a situation where you're not you're not given informed consent while they're testing on you. And and, look, and the point is always is, do you think the average people involved in these things that trust their government are even aware this exists because they posted it on this abstract federal registrar that nobody looks at, that somehow they're going to know about this? They're not going to tell you they're not informing, giving you informed consent. That's the whole point of not having to do it. That this is just, in my opinion, this becomes this black hole where they can argue that they didn't think this, or they thought that, and they didn't have to inform you, and then that same entity is going to back up. The, this is how it's always worked, as far as I can tell. These are corrupt entities. They will be corrupt. Find and document five criteria that are consistent with the revised rule. FDA believes the amendment provides appropriate safeguards. Well, I'm sure you do, seeing as how you completely don't care about the deadly shots you're giving people or a thousand other examples we can show where you've allowed the bad things to happen. But we totally, totally agree, or rather what they say, we uh, FDA believes that the appropriate safeguards will be provided in such investigations. We're also making confirmation amendments to the FDA, conforming amendments to the FDA's regulations. So this, from the FDA to the HHS, that's one of the points they argue is they're trying to Balance this between the two are just removing informed consent essentially, or as I as I wrote, you know, the dissolution of it because it is fragmented. It's broken down one more step away from the original concept, which is absolute as far as I can tell. And then it makes the point: Why are they doing this? Is it for your safety? Does it does it alleviate some kind of block where they can otherwise do the X? Ex- Not really. The only thing it removes is your understanding of what they're doing. That's what informed consent is to the fullest extent if they do it accurately. And why? Well, the estimated net present value of the cost savings they'll gain, $1.7 million. Okay, so great. You make a little extra money. Do you make money? No, the government makes money. Right, so they can go bomb more children. Fantastic. I mean, this is absolutely outrageous to me that anybody, and look, are are we being asked Do they care? As as Josh points out, they put up a forum where people don't even know that they can go there where you can submit your concerns. And what do they do? Disregard them and go forward anyway, because it's an illusion. And it says, we also expect benefits in the form of healthcare advances from minimal risk clinical investigations that would not be performed without a waiver or alteration of informed consent. Well, then they shouldn't be performed. If they wouldn't have otherwise been performed, if you tell people what you're going to do, I posit that it's not supposed to be done. I think about what they're saying right there. The other benefit is that we'll get to do these experiments that we wouldn't otherwise get to do if we had to tell them what we were doing. It's it's like, this is incredible to me. It says down here on December 13th, 2016, this is where it started, or this part of it anyway, the Cures Act was signed into law. It's Obama's administration. And at that time, even to show you, this is not new. We're just seeing the further dissolution of what's what is important to protect your health or help protect you from them. Section 2034 into 2016 of the Cures Act, amended sections, two different sections of the FDNC Act to provide FDA with the authority to permit an exception from informed consent requirements when the proposed clinical testing poses no more than a minimal risk. So it's already been there. They just made it even more specific. It says the rule implements the statutory change this rule we're looking at, the statutory change by allowing an additional exception from the general requirements of informed consent. Great. So all they did, I mean, I wasn't even aware that that was even on the table. What Josh is showing you here is them adding yet another exception, another watering down the possibility in the first place, or secondarily, I guess. So does that play into why we weren't told the truth about Any other shot before this, including the COVID-19 shot? Most likely. I think that was all I had in here. So here is what this this is going to make it all the more interesting. This is what a minimal risk clinical investigation is. He says, often investigators refer to a clinical study as minimal risk, in quotes, while pointing to the side effects as being minor or acceptable for the given condition and or that the procedures in the study are common in medicine and rarely have severe complications. Isn't that how they describe everything under COVID-19, even though we know that's not true? My point exactly. Now, it says, while this may be valid in common terminology for clinical patient management for regulatory purposes, assuming they even care about maintaining that kind of level of scrutiny, this would not satisfy the very specific definition, which there is a specific definition of minimal risk as provided by the very FDA. Despite common parlance, minimal risk has a definition in the regulations. It says the FDA defines minimal risk broadly for us in 21 CFR 30.3 K quote. Minimal risk means that the probability and magnitude of harm or discomfort anticipated in the research are not greater in and of themselves than the those ordinarily encountered in daily life. So walking, you know, getting a sunburn, right? Like things that you would encounter by being around, like minimal, minimal stuff during the performance of routine physical or psychological examination or tests. Like they give an example, like a blood test, right? Very, very, very extremely rare that something negative will happen, unless, you know, in something like that. Now it says this means that the risk of the research are those that a healthy person could expect to encounter at routine clinical visits. So we're not even talking about benefits outweigh the the risks here, that game they play. We're talking about like a very specific level threshold of, you know, what you, if you, if you you go in there and you have the risk of anaphylaxis, nope, doesn't count, right? That's what they're trying to say. Examples of procedures that are generally considered to meet what they call minimal risk, blood sampling, as I said, MRI, right? Even though there's clear things that could go wrong with that, it's largely we understand to be. You know, you're not going to walk out of there and have a blood clot or a stroke. Now it says placement of a peripheral venous line for less than 24 hours. Okay. So these are generally things that you can see as mostly benign. Now, examples of procedures that are not considered to be minimal risk. You're going to love this administration of virtually any investigative drug or biologic, even if the product is approved for the indication being studied or for the indications and is known to have a generally mild safety profile and adverse events are rare. Do you? Are, I mean, just so we're clear, I this isn't at this moment applied to any specific experiment or test or research. But let's remember, this goes back to 2016, so it's already been happening. My question is what had been omitted then to now, but as we go forward, do you really believe they're not going to apply this to investigative drugs or gene therapy process or the next COVID shot. I'm willing to bet you my life that they're going to point at this and say, totally safe and effective because we're using the same platform and the same test from before, even though we know that's not applicable, or that even if it is, that it's still very dangerous. Mark my words. I believe that they're going to include things just like this and argue they don't need to truly inform you. But it says as well, a clinical investigation of a device that involves invasive, inv- invasive sampling, a Smart dust, nanotechnology, implantables, Neuralink, blah, blah, blah. An MRI with contrast or sedation. So they're even using one of the examples from up here. And if you simply just apply sedation, oh, too much. Because there is possible risk that comes from being sedated. So think about how important that is when they argue that there's no informed consent necessary to whatever they categorize. And how much you want to bet quietly in a year, they'll alter this definition too, right? I know I'm a skeptic. I know that I am jaded against these entities, but my God, you know that with this is historically the way these things have gone. Either way, informed consent is not something that should just be chipped away at. It's incredible to me that whiskey didn't be allowed. It just shows you the runaway train that is our government. Now, this is something that we've talked about since 2020 when this actually came out. This was was peer reviewed on March 2021. You've seen him mention this so many times informed consent disclosure to vaccine trial subjects of risk of COVID-19 vaccines worsening clinical disease. Remember this? They never did this, but the finding was very, very clear. These, and I've made this point many times in regard to the terminology used, not the possible, the hypothetical, the specific and significant risk of COVID, of antibody dependent enhancement post-injection, which is what they're talking about, should have been and should be in 2020 and 2021, prominently and independently disclosed two research subjects in the trials, those being recruited for the trials, and those receiving the shots post-approval in order to meet the ethics standards of patient comprehension for informed consent. So was this one of these examples? Did they apply this broken logic to the COVID-19 discussion? Nobody was given informed consent. They weren't even told about the blank sheets. The people giving these shots didn't even know about the blank inserts. They and people are still not being told about this before giving these shots. So, I quite frankly think this is an effect for pretty much whatever they want it to be right now. And I did, I did a this is the clip version of this, the full show is right here. But as it says, the study finds, just like I told you, specific and significant risk, and it was hidden from you. They knowingly had this, even though it's on a public peer reviewed study on the National Library of Medicine. Now, just in lastly on this. This is, this, it's rare that I get, you could see these like it's so I, when you actually, if you just try to find like the childhood immunization schedule, it's near, it seems so convoluted and hard to find it like this. I think it was Orwell that recently sent me this. It's just mind blowing. They've added more shots. This is the 2024 recommended. And we know that it's hardly recommended. This immediately cascades down into what's done in schools and so on. And it's crazy. I mean, you can see j- just within the first year. We're talking about an RSV vaccine, hepatitis B, which I I think hardly necessary. Rotavirus, diphtheria. I don't even know what that one is. Hemophilus. Oh, it looks like a random influenza type. Pneumonia, polo, polio. Of course, COVID-19. At four months, they're telling you to give this four-month-old baby one or more doses of the new shot, of the COVID-19 shot. For children that have no, like, I mean, this is coming from the peer-reviewed science the risk is benign. It's le- dramatically less than the flu and it gets the least for the people that young. And they're still adding this, which means it will still be given. So whatever we thought or know at this point as in those, or what we concern ourselves about what might be, they're still forcing this in the arms of children. You think pregnant women are able to say no at this point? Like this stuff is aggressive, but then it goes further and still under one year, we're talking about measles mumps rubella the ones that we know are the the ones that never been tested alongside each other the autism overlap the vax conversation but but if you go up to two years it almost doubles i mean this stuff is disgusting i just my point is not whether or not you think they're necessary that these children do not need the vast majority of what look at other countries some of the things they're giving in this country are banned elsewhere it's staggering to me now Two last points that are slightly away from the vaccination conversation, but just showing you how all of this is still pushing forward, whether it's a vaccination conversation or carbon tax or a digital ID, it's all being driven forward in a way that I see very alarmingly coming together in a control structure, which I don't need to convince anybody of. I think basically everybody sees the outlines of what that is. Some people just agree with it or don't care or politically go forward. This is the Singapore president recommending a globally coordinated effort to give people a carbon tax. It's all. I mean, this is still going forward, despite the fact that there's aggressive pushback from even at country levels all around the world. It seems that most peoples of the world don't want most of this, and yet they know better, don't they?
2: There's no realistic solution to the climate transition that does not involve a globally coordinated system of carbon taxes. There's no realistic or fair solution that does not involve a globally coordinated system of carbon taxes. And Ngozi and the WTO is coordinating this with several other international organizations. It's still early days. There's a perception that it's unjust, it's unfair, it'll lead to inflation. In fact, quite the contrary. If we don't do this, the countries that will suffer most ultimately are the developing countries. They're going to be the worst affected by climate change. If we don't do this, it's ordinary vulnerable communities that will suffer the most. What we need is a system of carbon taxes coupled with subsidies for vulnerable households and a stream of funding for the developing world to allow them to engage in investments in mitigation and adaptation that allows them to keep growing. And that's a real opportunity. It's a fast solution and it's the only realistic solution. And we can't keep ducking it.
1: Right. So you just decide for everybody what is the solution. Right. We disagree, man. And these countries don't want you to force your digital ID on them to justify your carbon tax social credit concept. Like it's very clear. And that's obviously getting into the point about whether carbon tax or carbon itself is even the real thing to be concerned about. As I the idea that they're just going to pay their tax and continue to pollute as the largest polluters of the world. All will happen is you'll pay more for gas and drive less when you need to. I mean, it's, 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 that's the argument that they're going to do anything different other than just have to pay this tax, but they'll, they'll add into their, you know, it's part of doing business. They'll continue doing the same things they're doing. It's about control and the, up the digital infrastructure around your life. But he also said the subsidization of people that need so, so you're, you're becoming more of a debt slave in this aspect. Look, I don't care if you believe this is accurate or not. Don't you think people should have a choice? I don't care whether you think that the world's going to end tomorrow. If we go to a point to where suddenly based on your justification that people don't know, no longer have choices. Well, that's exactly what we've always been warning about, right? Compulsory moral bio enhancement or any of the things we've discussed. It always comes back to that moral argument, which usually is the opposite. Now on artificial intelligence, which is obviously a part of all of this. I just wanted to point this out. You know, I'm sure you saw that, it, that uh, Twitter has added this Grok thing, which you can only use if you're on premium plus. No, thank you. But it's just so gross and alarming how much this is being. I mean, from my perspective, I, I know some people don't think this is a problem, but that this is being pushed in your face and it's being used in a way that is it's just like the DNA concept when that was happening. when People didn't realize that it wasn't just as simple as you getting some fun information. They were utilizing your personal genetic code and information, which we still don't even fully grasp what that means at this point. Well, it's the same thing here. This is machine learning. This is the, they're actively lear- using you to learn from you, what you think, as well as using that to train their models. I mean, again, I don't think that's okay, but I just want to point out that on Getter, you know, Trump's platform, it still it says, start writing and modify your content with AI. just wanted you to see guys that the people on the right who are aggressively kind of like, you know, wef is a problem and oh, this is a problem. And yet Trump's thing is, oh, it's okay. Cause Trump did it. Not everybody, I don't even think the majority, but I just want you to see the two-party illusion that people stuck at the core of it are always largely being dishonest about these things. Now, let's talk about the Zionism aspect. The concept of whether Zionism is racism and so on. I mean, this is an important discussion of the UN documents and the history around this that's very clear. Torah Judaism, which we've pointed out many times, is a group that's all over the world, it's in Israel, it's in the United States, it's in the UK, and, these are, and this is a group, of orthodox jews that scream at the top of their lungs in every possible way that zionism is not judaism and that zionism has hijacked the religion to cover what they're doing it's exactly what i argue is happening and it's pretty damn easy to prove quite frankly if you just look up the real history that doesn't come from zionism can manipulate concepts and i'm talking about people that were there people like avi shalom who remembers the history who's told about his you know, as I've played before, the um, maybe I'll play it in a second, the idea that that, they, that Zionists were bombing Jews in Iraq to drive them into Israel to create state of Israel, or the fact that Zionists were, through terrorism, attacking the British to force them to do this. And there's all these different manipulations to talk about. In this case, this is a tweet from them saying, Israel sent giant bulldozers to destroy houses, farms, belonging to Palestinian citizens, and the Zionists now claim the land as their own. This is now, by the way, this has been going on as long, far, not just post-October 7th, Zionists are deliberately pushing Palestinians away from their lands and homes and replacing them with Zionist settlers. Why? Because it's a Zionist colonial settler project. That's what they called it themselves, to look back far enough. It is inherently unconstant, or rather, uh, violation of international law and racist at its core. And on top of that, if you speak up in any way about this, whether Jew or not, You get attacked by the Zionists, which show you that this is about control of a narrative. Sort of like when Ben Shapiro called the Jewish Voices for Peace a bunch of trash and said that they weren't Jewish simply because they were saying something he doesn't agree with. Think about how gross that makes you. And hypocritical, double standard across the board. But anti-Zionist Jews protesting in Jerusalem to demand the release of Jews detained by Zionists in their prisons. Why? Because they speak out against what's going on in Gaza or speak out against the Zionist concept. So these are Orthodox Jews that are being dragged through the street and arrested. How does that line up with anybody to understand this? It's just because they have a different political perspective. Hundreds of anti-Zionist Jews are detained under harsh conditions in Israeli prisons. Israel arrests Jews and puts them in prison under harsh conditions just because they are against Zionism or the state of Israel. You may disagree with that. You may think they're gross for thinking that. But are you of the mind that if you don't agree with the government of Israel that you could be arrested? But let's still call it democracy, okay? Now, Sir uh, Chili Bean points this out, and I'll go to the document. The resolution adopted by the General Assembly of the United Nations, Zionism is a form of racism. So you can disagree with this all day long. You must realize that this is a documented concept. And, and we can easily show the aggressive manipulation of the, is the state of Israel in the con- the processes of the UN. And we can even today, they're literally calling the UN Hamas like not even hiding and pulling punches anymore. They're just clumsily saying you're just Hamas at this point. And the point is that they have been pressuring these entities to manipulate what these things are for a very long time. And now people of the world are very aware of the reality. The mask has been, the mask has slipped. But to understand this, 1975, they can see right here, the resolution is determining that Zionist, this past determining that Zionism is a form of racism and radical discrimination. General Assembly, re, and it's, it points back to other things. So this is this is the important point to remember. This has been established and reestablished multiple times until I think it was 91 when Israel was able to establish enough to pull over this, utilizing the same things we've always seen, the United States government power and so on, to pressure and, and coerce people into basically removing this. Not voting that it's not, so on, but just, dis, uh, what's that word they use? I'll read it in a second. But it says, recalling its resolution of 1904, proclaiming the United Nations Declaration of Elimination of All Forms of Radical Discrimination and its particular, and in particular, its affirmation that any doctrine of racial differentiation or superiority is scientifically false, morally condemnable, socially unjust and dangerous. Now, nobody can argue that what they're doing is something other than racial differentiation. Whatever the justification you claim, that doesn't make it any different. It is still the case. As we've shown you with things like this. It, right, this is the, as Netanyahu said in, in retort to a person on the on the corporate media trying to defend the fact that no, no, Jew, Arabs are equal in, the, in, in Israel. He, sta- he stated publicly, Israel is the nation state of the Jews alone. He said, you're wrong. Stuff like this that Avi Shalom references. The point is, that is racial differentiation. Very clear. It says December 14th, 1973, the General Assembly condemned the unholy alliance between South African racism and Zionism. Why? Because they're the same thing. Because Israel was acutely involved with what they were doing in South Africa. I'll show you more about this in their documentation the point though is that we they were working on building that same concept they were working on ethnic weapons they were doing it's the worst kind of racism zionism apartheid it says a, you know those aren't necessarily exactly the same thing but in this case we're talking about the similar zionism has created apartheid and did so in south africa as well <laughs> now think about that coming from elon musk's perspective how ridiculous that is <clears throat> international cooperation and peace required the achievement of national liberation This is 1975 and independence, the elimination of colonialism and neo-colonialism, foreign occupation, just specifically as a category, Zionism, apartheid and racial discrimination in all its forms. So just in this case, Zionism is 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 analogous to just any form of racism. They're using this as a term to just say these are the things that we have to do away with. As well as the recognition of the dignity of peoples to the right of the self-determination, which they're fighting for. It says taking note also of resolution 77 adopted by the assembly of heads of state and government of the organization of African unity at its 12th ordinary session hold at Kampala from 28th of July to the 1st of August 1975, which considered, quote, that the racist regime in occupied Palestine and the racist regimes in Zimbabwe and South Africa have a common imperialist origin they all that though didn't pass this resolution forming a whole and having the same racist structure and being organically linked in their policy aimed at repression of the dignity and integrity of the human being so obviously you can't argue this is just about arabs if you're over here in south africa in, in creating the same dynamic so there's something inherently evil about this and this is what we're trying to show people and so at this point in time they uh, what's the term uh, Overwhelmingly passed this. And they're and that what they're discussing is not only that this is racist, not only that this is an apartheid state, Zionism is part of this problem or is the problem, but that, that they are that they did the same thing in South Africa. Now we can't pretend like these are not in this, these things held for a very, very long time. And by the way, are still largely accepted by the vast majority of people, just not the manipulated UN body. But it says adopted at the conference of ministers of foreign affairs of non-aligned countries, held at Lima from the 25th to the 30th of August, 1975, which most severely condemned Zionism as a threat to world peace and security and called upon all countries to oppose this racist and imperialist ideology. They determined that Zionism is a form of racism and radical discrimination. They voted this and passed it resoundingly. I just don't know how we can't recognize what that shows you, that what changed is the influence of Zionism enough to get this to roll it back. But this was reality at the point at the, at the time, and still is. Now here was just a letter that I find interesting from Yemen of all time, of all people, all countries, nations. The point is, this was following this doc. This uh, this is 1987, and it says elimination of all forms of racial discrimination. That's a letter from Yemen. It's it is basically highlighting what we're discussing the implementation of the program of action for the second decade to combat racial and racism and racial discrimination and grant, you know, a speedy granting of independence to colonial countries in regard to the, you know, like Palestinians fighting for their self-determination. Now it says, I should like in my capacity as chairman of the group of Arab states for the month of February, 1987 to draw attention to the letter from the, the letter we just read, right? The idea, or rather, no, this one says the, the permanent, um, Make sure it's the right one. Resolution in Congress dated 15 August 1985. Annex there to contain the document. Uh, well, in any case, they're referencing the same concepts. It might have just been a later version of it. But you can see as I go forward, this is what they're discussing. The group of Arab states is amazed that, res- that resort should be had to an attack. And this is what we're talking about on Resolution 3379. So what you're just, what you're seeing here in 89 is Yemen standing up and saying, look, Israel is going after this. Trying to call out, like, we've all agreed this is a problem. We've allowed this to get worse. And what we're highlighting here is that they're attacking this resolution. And they ultimately succeeded a couple years later. It says, which was adopted more than 11 years ago by the assembly in accordance with the procedures customer in the United Nations. And it says, with the numbers of votes in favor, more than double the number of against. 72 to 35. The group of Arab states is amazed that also that such an attack should be made regarding a subject that was decided once and for all in a purely democratic manner more than a decade ago without the participation of Israel, which is basically the party concerned with Zionism as a lonesome racist ideology in a clear and ign- ign- uh, ignominious attempt to exploit the difficult circumstances currently besetting the United Nations. So that's the point. At a time when there was turmoil in the body, they were exploiting this, and with the aim of pressuring the embarrass- and embarrassing the organization. In the light of the above, it is quite clear that the aim is none other than to force this organization to disassociate itself from a portion of the achievements of which it can justifiably feel proud. We may very well be looking at the time when this body was officially broken, if you ever thought it was not. This makes it incumbent on its members to stand fast in the face of such attempts, which, if crowned with success, would set a precedent that might have the direct consequences, which I think happened, and I think we are only just now seeing it corrected. The annex to the letter contained in document A-4267, inspired by the defiance and disdain which are inherent in all forms of racism and which are totally unjustified, In the view of the lack of any forward-looking vision that might serve as a basis for the emergence of a new reality in the Middle East, restore right and justice and ensure the implementation of the inalienable rights of the Palestinian people, including its right to return, which is the last thing they'll ever ever allow, and its right to self-determination and to the establishment of an independent state adopts the threatening tone of vilification as an instrument of pressure wielded by Zionist circles inside and outside of Israel, that's important, for the purpose of breaking out of the isolation resulting from its aggressive practices in the region and other regions. It's most amazing that this attempt should come at this time, when the aggression of Zionism against the Palestinian people and against Lebanon and other neighboring Arab states has reached its culmination. This going been going on so long. It's amazing that most people don't know that. This underscores beyond any doubt the fact that Israel persists in its same philosophy. So the point is, despite the resolution 11 years ago, they've only gotten worse, which, by the way, was allowed because of groups like the United States government and continues to use the same methods that led to that General Assembly 11 years ago. It says those who set themselves up as defenders of Zionism should refer to the debates that have taken place on the subject, right? The point is this stuff has already been laid out whether in the third committee or in the general assembly at the assembly's uh, 13th session, in order to ascertain that the opponents of Zionism as an odious type of racism are as far removed as they could possibly be from anti-Semitism and opposition to Judaism. Like, it's just so crazy how long this has been made. And they just keep forcing the narrative. The Arabs as states and as a nation Respect and revere Judaism as a revealed religion and do not see in its ancient heritage any connection as regards belief or as regards teachings and concepts with the Zionist movement. They're telling you exactly what we've been saying, which bases its philosophy on lonesome racial separatism as reflected in its shameful practices and ignominious measures. So, what they're telling you at this time was that this was. Not that it's not about your racist allegations. It's about the fact that you're a you're a racist entity. And so what they've done over the years is both, you know, lie about that and force you to, as we're even seeing today, the conflation of Zionism and Judaism, but more so that they almost created the the animosity towards Judaism, which, by the way, is exactly how this dynamic is meant to work. So you don't notice focus on Zionist actions. If you're blinded by their narrative, you get redirected to anger against Jews because that's what they want you to do so they can call you racist. But the point ultimately is that it is using the people and the religion to hide what they're doing. And so over time, they've effectively manifested the very hatred from people that are, I argue in some cases, just disgusting, but others that have been manipulated to hate Jews when really it's about the Zionist entity. And I think that's so incredibly important to see. And how does that make them any safer? It doesn't. The most dangerous place on the planet for Jews is in the Zionist state of Israel. It says the Arabs who are Semites by blood descendant cannot be anti-Semitic, unless a man can be his own enemy. That's the point about pretending that the only thing that's anti-Semitic is somehow a Jew in Israel, despite the fact that they come from all over the world and Israel is a state that was made on top of another. Arabs are Semites here in this case. Palestinians are Semites, rather. So it's stupid to make this game where, want, you know, it's all a manipulation. It says, we therefore hope because of our concern for the credibility and prestige of the United Nations as a major international organization that the door will not be open to such dangerous attempts. They lost, of course, for otherwise member states will find themselves abrogating on the morrow that they decide today that it is a very grave matter. Right, What they're saying is they've established it, they voted, it's behind you. So what they're allowing is Israel to come back and just go, well, we don't want that anymore. And just over the process of a decade, apply enough pressure to get them to finally roll it back. Which they succeeded in doing. The Resolution 337, adopted on November tenth, 1975, quote, determined that Zionism is a form of racism and racial discrimination, 72 votes in favor, 35 against, 32 abstention. Of course, it was revoked, which is highly unusual by resolution 4686 adopted on 16 December, 1991, 111 votes in favor of 25 against 13 abstention. There you are. Now here to kind of wrap this little segment up in general, I think it's a really important point. We just showed you this yesterday or two days ago with Robert at the time. That's why I took this picture. It literally said the post may violate Nexus rules on hateful conduct. Do you know what he was doing? I'll play it for you right now. Actually, let me just play it for you and we'll talk about it. This is Netanyahu talking about what he defines as terrorism. Explain for me how this is hateful conduct unless you... Well, I'll just play it first.
3: ...do is target the innocent deliberately. And therefore, my definition of terrorism is the inno- the systematic and deliberate attack, the murder, maiming, and menacing of innocents, of civilians, for uh, political goals. You can tell a lot... About terrorists, but what happens when they come to power? Those who fight for freedom and come to power do not impose terrorism. Those who do, who fight in terroristic means, end up as being masters of terrorist states.
1: Right. I mean, it's literally what they've done. It's all It all becomes semantics, but ultimately what you're discussing is the fact that they have continued to do the very things that put them in the position of creating the state of Israel, terrorism. And let's not forget the term the definition, the actual definition of terrorism is using violence to commit political ends or to achieve political ends. It's simple, right? So it's it's incredible. So right as he's saying that, as Robert discussed, they were continuing to do so. So he wasn't even be honest then. But again, how is that hateful conduct? Or this is getting so abstract that I mean, my personal opinion is because that's un that's uncomfortable for the Israeli government. So dutifully, Twitter acts like it violates something and removes it. While they're playing, showing all sorts of hate speech against Palestinians, all sorts of graphic images about Palestinians being killed. No one cares about those things, apparently. But guess what? They've now removed it. Right? It was posted, and now it's gone. I'm sure you can find other people posting it, but how is that? How is this being removed from Twitter? He literally just, is. A, it's he said it, it is Netanyahu, and he's simply saying something that should be taken as pretty obvious and benign. That, well, terrorists do terroristic things, and they continue to do so even after they have their state. Yeah, exactly. They delete this because it's uncomfortable and inconvenient, in my opinion. Either way, it does not apply to hate speech unless you're somehow using this to say that's what they are, but that's not what the Post was doing. So it's almost like they, this is what I was saying earlier today, just I think it was Elon Levy, who I think it was, uh, Corbin said something like people, they always have money, you know, people have, or it was very abstract. It didn't specify anybody. It says money for bombs, but not enough for X, Y, and Z. Right. He, Elon responded. He's, this is the uh, representative for October 7th. He responded by saying, you know, but that, but it's because of Hamas and Hamas does this and it's not our fault or whatever. He's super reactive. And then comments underneath going, oh, well, maybe I misunderstood. And I'm like, dude, you're so transparent. You're a guilty person You, your guilt is on the surface. People make statements directed at everybody and you act like you're being attacked when you're not. And the point is that that shows a guilty conscience. You know that you're the one that is doing that. So when he makes the statement, you feel like it's directed at you. It's hilarious. But my point is that's what I think is partly happening here. Here's what Caitlin Johnstone wrote. I think this is important. Israel isn't relentlessly murderous and abusive because it's run by Jews. It's relentlessly murderous and abusive because that's the only way to maintain an ethnostate that was abruptly dropped on top of an already existing civilization. This would be true if it was a Mormon state or a Romani state. Take any already existing country with its own ethnic and religious makeup and its own relationships with surrounding countries and drop a brand new artificial ethnostate on top of it with a deluge of immigrants who are designated special above the people that were already in that region. And you're going to get a ton of violence. It's kind of easy to understand. You're also going to see the dominant group espouse supremacist ideological beliefs, especially when you seed them with that as a Zionist you know, supremacist mindset. And they're going to have these beliefs to justify why it's okay for them to be placed above the other group and receive better treatment by the state. Take things that were once theirs. Of course, it's all justified because God said, These things would happen regardless of what those respective ethnic and religious makeups happen to be. I agree. How can we be sure of this, she says, because we've seen it happen time and again in other settler colonialist projects throughout history, which had nothing to do with Jews or Muslims. It's not about Jews and Judaism. It's about the nature and character of the ethno state, which got placed over the top of a pre-existing civilization in the 1940s. The religions and ethnicities are interchangeable with pretty much any other term. terms, pretty much any other in terms of how much violence would be necessary to institute and maintain such a state. I, I, how can you disagree with that? But some people will because they have a political agenda, in my opinion. Now, here's another group, different than Torah Judaism. This one's just called Torah Jews, who have a very, this This is a, 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 a this, I'll just read what it says, listen to an esteemed Holocaust survivor and this, he's discussing one of these Holocaust survivors basically crying, falling to the ground and crying about how Zionists were hurting the Jewish people
4: Hi yeah, thank you. as a scholar of the South rabbi what was his reaction when he heard about the establishment of the state of Israel
5: he threw himself to the floor cried and saying. Who knows how much trouble this establishment of the state of Israel because for the Jewish people around the world?
1: Interesting, right? The point simply being, and you can read this is the other post from the same group saying the Holocaust is not discussed too often in Orthodox Jewish circles versus Zionist ones. Why? And they're showing this clip of Ben Shapiro and and, and uh, Elon Musk taking their tour. It says, we don't, this is them again, so basically saying that the Holocaust isn't discussed in Orthodox Jewish circles versus Zionist ones. says why we don't need to promote Jewish suffering from Orthodox Jewish circles to gain any political points, right? Because Zionism is a political entity. That's the point. He says, we internalize the message and push ourselves to serve uh, God accordingly. But Zionists need it for Zionism. So they exploit the suffering of our people and work to conflate Judaism and Zionism through it. Now, look, you can disagree with that all you want, but these are Orthodox Jews expressing their opinion about it. You can't call them anti-Semitic or or racist because you think they hate Jews when they're expressing their opinion as an Orthodox Jew. In who you know, the point is they could be wrong. You could disagree with them, but my point in making this is simple: that you can't just call anybody who has a different opinion about these things racist. It certainly might be the case, but it becomes a scapegoat for anybody accusing the Israeli government of anything. And that's what they're all trying to highlight. Now, again, I'll include these. I don't think it sways anybody who has suddenly decided that every human rights group in the world, which we never should have blindly trusted, are all Hamas or whatever because they say the wrong thing. In 2021, they determined that it's a, it is an apartheid state. Human Rights Watch, a threshold cross, Israeli authorities and the crimes of apartheid. Amnesty International, Israel's apartheid against Palestinians or that an Israeli human rights group, the regime of Jewish supremacy from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea pretty damn clear, and I'll just play Abi Shalom to end this segment.
0: Uh, Zionism is racism. Israel cannot be both. Israel is either a racist Jewish state or it's a democratic state for everybody, and that's what I would like Israel to be. I'd like a democratic solution, one state with equal rights for um, uh, all its inhabitants. Uh, Your organization, Human Rights Watch, issued a report last year uh, about Israel mm-hmm. and the conclusion was it is an apartheid state. And, and there are f- four major human rights groups in the last two years mm-hmm. who issued similar reports reached the same conclusion. Israel mm-hmm. is an apartheid state. So apartheid is racism. Apartheid is discrimination. But Israel is the only member of the United Nations that I know, which is officially racist. And I say this because of the uh, July 2018 nation state law, which says Mm -hmm. the Jews have a unique, unique right to Mm self-determination in Israel. (laughs) Unique means exclusive. It means Arabs have no right to Mm self-determination. It means even if Arabs became a majority, mm-hmm. they would still have no right to self-determination. Mm. So but most certainly Zionism is a, um, is a racist ideology mm-hmm. and it is largely responsible for the Anakba that has unfolded throughout the last century mm-hmm. and continues today.
1: Hmm. Well, you've seen that many times. I mean, I think it's important. Oh, how did I do that? I think it's important to understand. Uh, hold on that is strange. Oh. Huh. Oh, I see why. Sorry, I, I'm weird about my screen being lined up. I guess it's just that tab. Yeah. But you know, he the, Avi Shalom is a highly respected British Israeli historian. Right? You he, he, you can disagree with him, right? But he he the per, he knows what he's talking about and his and his statements are rooted in all the things we already showed you. And I, I'm actually interested in what's the fourth human rights group that that, I, that he's stating there. I'm not familiar with that. Those are the main three I've shown you about apartheid. But it's very real. And it's not debatable as far as I'm concerned. You can support Zionism if you want, but that's, that's be, that'd be like supporting the KKK as far as I'm concerned. That's probably going to piss a lot of people off. It is a racist ideology and it is an apartheid state. Just politics is not enough to push back on that. It has been found very clearly. And again, it is people are waking up rapidly to that point. You support it. That's, that's up to you, but you can't pretend it's not obviously what it is and what they were founded on, aligning themselves or trying to with the Nazi party itself twice, as even Dan Cohen has covered, the, discussing how this was after the final solution. These, these are people that are trying to align themselves with, with a fascist entity, the Lehigh Party, or rather the Ergun Party and the offshoot of the Lehigh Party. This is the foundational aspects of Zionism. So no, here is what's currently happening, and it is being justified or rather ignored by people in power because of what we're discussing, because of the influence of the ra- racist Zionist entity. This is as of the J- January 19th. So there's been six days since then. 32,246 have been killed. 12,660 of them have been children. We're still at a point of like 70-something, 80-something percent are children and women. 115 journalists killed. Healthcare professionals, guys, look at this. 301 of them have been killed. 300 doctors, nurses, ambulance drivers. 208 healthcare facilities. 24 hospitals. <laughs> I mean, it's just so staggering. And we'll get into the, the controlled demolition and how obvious it is that this is, and it's already it's now been stated by Israeli media, this is a deliberate effort to clear out an area for these settlements. And then you get your government that just lies about this. And it's pretty clumsy. All the State Department representatives who are just spinning around the drain at this point, like they have nothing they can say. We all see right through them. It shows you how feckless these people are. They're, they, they're, it does nothing to do with what's right, what's moral, what's legal, rules-based international order. <laughs> hardly. They are actively doing what's best for their interest at the expense of literally everything, including you. So here, this is going to continue, apparently, according to your government, because they just don't care. Now, just today, and this was earlier today, the latest death toll from just today, 20 people have been killed. And this is just from the times of Gaza, so I guarantee it's more than this. In the Kuwaiti Square in northern Gaza, while seeking aid. And we'll get into that. People that were literally trying to take the aid that they've barely let through, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what's needed, and we'll get into that too deliberately holding it back. And then when they went to try and get it, they shot people. <laughs> I mean, there's just no way around this. This is because this says, this has, the dam is broken. It seems that now they don't even care what's being seen because I think that they know that the people who already see it, they already see it. The vast majority of governments and people and authority, and they know that the ones that are doubled, tripled, quadrupled down are going to do so to the end. So might as well just go all out. That's what it feels like to me. 13 people killed in Almagazi refugee camp. At least 50 people killed in Khan Yunus, the very place where they keep screaming everyone's supposed to go and be safe, and they keep bombing that area. We'll go over all of that. Mohammed Safa points out that Israel's now dropped almost 30,000 bombs and shells on Gaza in 100, day, in 100 days plus, eight times, get this, eight times more than the U.S. aimed at Iraq in six years of war. But it's totally justified, rational, and rational, and balanced, they would tell you, right? Israel destroyed nearly twice the number of buildings in northern Gaza in just seven weeks than dest- then it destroyed in Aleppo in three years. This stuff, you just can't deny this stuff. This is overwhelming. They know they've lost the narrative. So w- they have to factor in their decision-making process now that if they know that we see through it, and they know that the moment this stops, that somebody's going to go after them, they're going to try to shift this pull you into the multi-front war, make this the most, you know, now they're they're once again floating the idea of nuclear weapons. I mean, that guy got centered for it. Netanyahu like slapped him on the wrist. He came out yet again and said, let's nuke him. (laughs) So clearly this is being pushed to get, You know, if you if you push this thing over, if you knock it all down and it gets out of control, do you think people are going to be remembering or talking about the fact that they should be held accountable for what they did over here when you're broken out some world war scenario? I hope to God that doesn't happen, but they are desperate. Understand that. And while they're doing this, and this is actually really important to understand, we briefly talked about some of this with Robert. This is from the Wall Street Journal. Hamas toll thus far falls short of Israel's war aims. So we're talking about 32,000 people, 12,000 plus children alone. Children being amputated with no anesthesia. Like it's just the most horrifying reality on the ground. And they have barely even achieved what they pretend they've achieved. Israel forces have killed 20 to 30%, they say, of Hamas fighters. Why? Well, because they're guessing or because they're selling you a narrative they want you to think. And we can prove that because alternatively, we'll show you after this. Guess what? That they secretly, without telling you, have already confirmed and have used for their own reports the, 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 the death tolls being cited by the Ministry of Gaza. That's the Israeli health, the Israeli intelligence are now seek are basically confirming that they are reliable and what they're using are now filtering through their own reports. And in and why it states why, and I'll go over it in one second. Because they have no way to tell for themselves. This is being admitted. So explain for me how in the world, if you admit over here that you don't know how to discern because you're bombing indiscriminately who you're getting and how many and what, that you can then somehow go, I don't know, 30%. It's a completely BS made up number. Quite frankly, I don't even believe they're going after Hamas at this point. Now I say that kind of facetiously, but I really think that it's just my opinion. Based on all of this, we'll get into Qatar later in the show as well, where I think that there's, it's obvious to me that the leadership is being protected both by the U S and Israel at this point. And I'll go over why I think these new tariffs are coming out, but going forward here, Israel officials have conceded that despite an aggressive air and ground campaign, an aggressive, an aggressive bombing campaign inside of Gaza that has killed thousands of civilians that they even say that in this article, which is even that is shocking. They haven't achieved their goal of destroying Hamas. Yeah. Big surprise. You mean the group they funded and propped up all these years? Israel has withdrawn thousands of troops from Gaza following pressure from the U.S. Get this. This is how dumb this kind of reporting is. Wall Street Journal can't do their due diligence here or they just don't care. Israel's withdrawn thousands of troops from Gaza following pressure from the U.S. to transition to a more surgical phase of its war against Hamas. But military officials say the war could continue for many months. Isn't that, that's, that is backwards. So they, they spent months just bombing everywhere with minimal presence and have only recently started the ground invasion. But so now they're pretending as if it's been this ground invasion the whole time and only now are they pulling back to bombing they're just trying to recreate the, the reality because they're desperate, hoping in some way this kind of just redefines the history, even though we all just saw what happened. Think how dumb that is. That's the Wall Street Journal, right? That this Nancy Yusuf you either don't know any better or you're lying for them, which makes you a bad journalist. But it says the US has urged Israel to shift the war toward more targeted operations aimed at Hamas leadership. Again, you can't, you can't do more if you are doing everything you can. That's this stupid game they've been playing. Israel's doing everything they can to minimize civilian casualties, but we've been asking them to do more. It's like, that's stupid. So what they're telling you is we're urging them to stop bombing whoever everywhere and start actually going after Hamas like you're saying you are. Hamas has suffered thousands of casualties according to U.S. and Israel assessments. Well, it's interesting. How do they possibly know? Well, there's a point in here that explains why the U.S. government does have more insight to what's going on than they're admitting. And of course, we could yet again show you that they've got generals and people on the ground in Israel, literally helping target. They know what's going on. So when Matt Miller and whatever that lollipop kid's name is, they start acting like, we just don't know. And we can't, we have to wait to find out. We can't answer any of these questions. They know. They have, I don't know if they know, but the U.S. government is well aware of the true toll and what they're doing. They're a part of it. Now, down here, it says Hamas has denied that its forces have suffered heavy losses. Now, they would say that even if they have, but consider the fact that they haven't, and that's a big lie. It says the U.S. estimate included in a classified report earlier this month was drawn, get this, from intercepted communications, analysis of the ruins in Gaza, wait a minute, drone surveillance of the territory, hold on, and intelligence provided by the Israelis. Okay, so those two in-between points are quite important. You're telling me the US government has drones analyzing the ruins of Gaza and surveilling the territory and they're combining that with intercepted communications when Israel claims it's happening and yet you stand there and go, "Well yeah, we don't even know what's going on." That Israel, we told them and we told them not to and we we have to wait to find out. They're playing dumb and they're bad at it, even though they're dumb. <laughs> the point is quite clear, they're they they could get some insight if they wanted to. They could ask the Israelis, they could intercept communications, they could use their drones and other surveillance to find out what's going on in the ground, and yet just don't care. Or rather, they are, and they lie about it. It says here that Hamas is attempting to reassert its authority by putting bombs everywhere, by using suicide vests? No, by putting small groups of police and emergency services to patrol the streets. Terror, according to Israeli officials and Palestinian residents. So you're telling me that this terror danger group is putting out police and ambulances? What terrible, I mean, it's like, I'm not trying to pretend Hamas is not, at least in some way, what we all should be concerned that they are, largely in my opinion, because they were funded by Israel to be that terrorist entity. I'm going to say we need to wrap our minds around how important that part of it is. But they're, you're making this out. That, like So the argument is they're terrorizing everybody and they're in control and, and they're putting police out to reestablish control of the area and ambulances to help people that need. And I just, it's just funny how that is the entity that right now, what we're watching is the overwhelming reality that Israel, the Zionist government is acting in terrorism in every possible way. Now Hamas very well could be doing the same, but I'm not seeing anything that verifies that outside of some things that happened on October 7th. Now it says earlier this week, Hamas fired a barrage of rockets into Israel from an area of central Gaza where Israeli forces had been operating a day earlier, highlighting concerns by some in Israel that Hamas will simply reassert itself in any area is not controlled by Israeli forces. So simultaneously, trying to argue or justify the reality that Israel has to constantly forever occupy it, which, by the way, has always been their plan. So here, the corporate media is already starting to get on board. We need to rationalize and justify why they're going to reassert settlements inside the area, even though it's illegal. But on top of that, what does it show you? They're not going after these people, guys. If they're if they're truly securing these areas and they claim they're, oh, we found the tunnels and we're blowing it up and we're secure. Now the North's secure. We're going forward. And well, they just pop up the next day and they're right in the same area. Now, of course, they could have moved into these areas, but you clearly don't have any security control over this tiny area. And it's not tiny in the sense of, you know, in the sense of the world. It is a small, controllable area based on the kind of surveillance and personnel that they have. I don't believe they're going after Hamas. I really don't. I just frankly don't think that's even, I think this is about destroying Palestine, which is not that hard to wrap your mind around. But what it shows you is that I think just always having this ambiguous presence everywhere, which is what they're kind of arguing will never, will always be the case until we do what we've told you we want to do. It's just a justification to continue ethnically cleansing the area. Now, uh, Yuval Abraham, who is a, oh yeah, he was a journalist for 972 Magazine who was involved with the Mass Assassination Program article, which I'll include for you right here. We covered this as well, but just reading the article is probably the best way to go. Which This is citing, I think it was six IDF members, both former and current, on the record telling you that we're murdering people for no reason, bringing down buildings just to bring down buildings. They coined the term a mass assassination factory. So he's writing about this and he says, intelligence, Israeli intelligence secretly surveilled officials in Gaza's health ministry to check if their data on the number of civilians killed in Gaza was reliable. You know, the very thing they outwardly tell you can't be. And guess what? They found the numbers are reliable. And now regularly use them, regularly use them in their internal intelligence briefings. You know how we know this? Because it was broken by an Israeli platform. This is in, in a Hebrew version of Israeli media in Israel. And is telling you, well, the army checked and found that the reports of the dead in the in the Ministry of Health in Gaza are reliable. Some sources in the intelligence told the local conversation that they that the army followed senior officials in the health ministry in Gaza and came to the conclusion that the reports are reliable. It says the military intelligence system relies almost exclusively on the Ministry of Health, which is under control of Hamas in Gaza to estimate how many civilians the army has killed in the strip since the beginning of the war Two Israeli intelligence sources revealed to local talk. This is in contrast to the statements of the officials in Israel and Joe Biden where they pretend it's all questionable, as they're literally using them in their own intelligence briefings. One of the sources said that the comprehensive investigation was conducted during the war, which included classified operations, which revealed that the numbers published by them were, on the whole, reliable. Basically, estimate the number of civilians killed, both the present and in previous operations. The two intelligence sources claim the Army does not have a reliable source. That's important, of its own to rely on regarding the number of civilians killed, which, by the way, would mean anything happening in these areas, including how many Hamas members they've killed. It says, contrary to the procedure that was accepted in the past, in the current war, the army does not conduct an examination of how many civilians were killed in each of the hundreds of attacks aimed at homes and of junior Hamas operatives. Now, if they don't know how many civilians they've killed, it obviously makes sense. Deductive logic, they don't know how many of the other side they've killed. Because if you knew how many civilians, you could deduce and say, well, the others were Hamas, right? Either way. They don't know. So they, don't, they acknowledge that Hamas and Gaza and the ministry are correct, which is hilarious, and then tell you, we just don't know. But yet they come out and say, we've killed 20 to 30% of the group that we don't even know how to define. I just think this is hilarious, and they're caught in every possible way. Now, he says, according to the two sources, Israeli intelligence has no good independent measure, as we just told you, to find out for themselves. One reason for this is that officers conducted hundreds of AI-directed assassination strikes, against suspected low-level Hamas operatives, which to them is anybody that ever brushed by one of the people they suspected themselves. I mean, it's really flimsy. We've gone over all of this. Usually by destroying entire homes and killing entire families, a practice we previously termed a mass assassination factory. There was often no bomb damage assessment for these strikes, meaning there was no check on who and how many civilians were killed. This routine post-strike check was skipped to save time. He says, quote, this is speaking from the IDF members. I don't know how many people I killed is collateral damage. We only check that information for senior Hamas targets. In other cases, I, don't care. I didn't care, he says. I immediately moved on to the next target. The focus was on creating as many targets as quickly as possible. That's directly from this article. They're telling you they're not checking this stuff. They're pretending that the AI knows. That's why he says, I trust Health Ministry of Gaza more than the IDF for these statistics. That's a direct quote from an internal source. I think on this one... Uh yeah, that, that's good enough right there. Now, this I just want you to see this. This is what a mass assassination, indiscriminate bombing campaign truly looks like. It says, sadly, Gaza no longer exists. It's just crazy to see how much to damage. I mean, look look out into the distance here. I mean, it's across the board. These are residential areas. Their buildings are destroyed. The infrastructure destroyed. This is by design. This is a deliberate deconstruction of their society so they can build what they want. As as the Israeli Zionist government. Very clear to me. I mean, just look at all that, guys. I mean it's literally ever. Look at the distance. As far as you can see, these are just just rubble. It's crazy to me. Now, by the way, just to give you a little bit of a positive note on this, despite all of that the, the i c the international court of justice is a, supposed to rule or rather there's the main ruling was going to take possibly a year or so but the provisional measures in the meantime apparently they're going to speak tomorrow at one pm i don't know if that's central or eastern or what but tune in here this is their post so i'm sure we follow to their account i'm sure we'll find out there's a link here as well I'm hoping that this goes in at least, like, again, like I said, regardless of what they say, Israel's not going to care. But at the very least, we get the standing out there where they're saying you need to do this so we can show you that they're not engaging with the process that they force others to do. Now, this is what's so insulting about the whole thing, right? As Whether it's the U.S. actions in Yemen or anywhere else, that we can literally see that they are at war. And this just becomes, I mean, why don't we start with this? Like the absurd game that's being played. Like we talk about when it comes to any number of the things that they state, right? Like safe and effective. They have meanings. And when you look at the definition of the word, what they're telling you is either of those not, don't meet any of those definitions, even based on what they've admitted to. So, what is war? There's three things here a, a state of open, armed, often prolonged conflict carried out between nations. Okay. So that's a, so obviously any of these things, Syria, Iraq, especially, are war. So they're at war with these countries, despite the game of words they play. Well, they're, they're currently bombing Gaza. And you can discuss, well, it does say states or parties. So there you go. They are right now in an open, armed, and, and, uh, and prolonged conflict with Palestine. So there's just no, or Yemen for that matter. They've been bombing and starving Yemen for over a decade. So this game where they go, well, we're not at war with X, Y, it's all defensive. But again, I, we just got to put to bed the absurdity that there's any such thing as a defensive attack. That's just, that is just a manipulation of words. You're defending yourself if you're literally fighting as, be, as you're being attacked. It's as simple as that. The only reason you need a defensive attack term is for propaganda. It's just a simple, benign, static thing. You're only defending yourself if you're responding to an attack. Now, you can still argue that you're justified in responding after that. I mean, I, there's, I would even argue to a degree that if somebody, like the argument being made, somebody's bombing you and they stop and you know they're going to continue to, the point is, do you have a right to respond, I would argue, to a degree, within the law, realm of international law, not civilians and all the stuff we've always had to deal with. Now, look, I flatly disagree with war in and of itself. My point is operating from within the dynamic they currently have. but. To claim that you can defend yourself for the next three months or at all afterward is just a manipulation. It's the Bethlehem Doctrine. It's about preemptive self defense. It is Orwellian. So here is the Pentagon doing the same damn thing.
6: The Secretary General just now is um, talking about the conflict in the Middle East. He's mentioning the Houthis, he's mentioning the US and the UK strikes. He's mentioning what's going on with striking in Iraq, both um, um, Israelis and the United States. And he's urging all parties to step back from the brink and to consider the horrendous human human cost of a regional
1: conflict. What's the Pentagon's response to that? So she's talking about the U.N. saying that. Which, of course, to the Israeli side of this now, the U.N. is just Hamas and they're working with terrorists and so on. Which, of course, you should consider, question everything. But the evidence they put forward is a bunch of screaming, childish narratives that have nothing to back them up, other than some, than some associations on the ground in a place that they would, are to alternatively tell you is managed and and, and run by Hamas. Like, we're not going to have some overlap in these points. The bottom line is, to argue flatly that anything coming out of the UN is now compromised by Hamas, is just a very flimsy tactic. So the point is that the UN is standing up and saying, That everyone needs to stand back from this, which, by the way, I always dislike in every way the balanced nonsense. This should be about Israel stopping the murder of people in Palestine. But at the very least, he says you guys should back away. Right. And so, of course, from the Israel side doesn't matter. Here's what the Pentagon has to say.
7: Well, Carla, we've been working for a very long time on regional security and stability, not only in the Middle East, but around the world. And so
1: that's all war. All war. So we've been at war with this area for a very long time. That's what he doesn't want you to think that, but that's the truth.
7: So we'll continue to work very closely with allies and partners globally uh, to address tensions uh, in the Middle East. You know, since uh, Hamas's attack against
1: none of which has anything to do with the question that she actually put forward. Your response to them, you're just giving platitudes.
7: Israel, of course, we've been very focused on deterrence and on preventing a wider regional conflict, and we'll stay focused on that.
1: Not an answer at all, actually. So we're going to do the same thing we're doing. Shut up, right? We're going to deter with violence. Has that ever worked for you? No, it hasn't. Historically, every single time they say this was a deterrence, it causes more problems. Why? The same reason Israel screams, we have a right to defend ourselves. We have a right to respond. Well, so do they. So you bomb a country that you're starving for 10 years and act shocked when they respond to you. By your own definition, that's preemptive self-defense, is it not? (laughs) It's just so insulting, the whole damn thing.
4: What about his words on the brink? Is the U.S. on the brink of war right now in the
6: Middle East?
7: Uh, We are not at war in the Middle East. Clearly, there are significant tensions in the Middle East. And again, we're working closely with allies and partners to de-escalate and reduce those tensions where we can, recognizing the fact that, uh, you know, others have a vote as well.
1: Right. So by by war, we will de-escalate war. Does that make sense? Right. So if if we're going to fight and I walk up and punch you in the face, I'm like, whoa, whoa, I'm just de-escalating. I'm just trying to calm it down by punching you in the face. Does that make sense? Obviously not. It doesn't make sense unless you try to contort this into some political gymnastics where you act like when they do it it's okay, but when we do it, you know, it's say or rather when we do it it's okay, when they do it it's terrorism. It's just pathetic. We as a society need to stop being cowed along by the childish two-party illusion politics. That's the only reason this continues because if we were all, but like independent of the party politics, we would be like, well, that's dumb. Obviously, you're attacking. Now, there'd be jingoism for sure, which still exists. People that are just blindly pro America to the point where whatever they do is right, whatever they do is bad. But it would be far less if we weren't caught up in the two party paradigm of it all. How in the world are you going to pretend you're not at war while you're bombing multiple countries? <laughs> it's just pathetic. And same thing this one said here, who was just a talking head. It's now fair to say that that we're at war with Yemen, and he goes, "No, no, we don't think we're at war, but you are, though, <laughs> based on the definition of the word." But you know, who cares about that? Now let's talk about the the other larger point about the complete la uh, b- dissolving destruction. I'm like trying the, the right word I'm looking for the the narrative in Israel. Now I've told you that this has been breaking down across the world. But there's been a very large support, you know, and, and there still is, I'm right, frank. I mean, it's very clear to me that the majority of Israelis want to continue what's going on in Gaza. But more and more, you're getting people that are beginning to realize how much they've been lied to. And especially more so than that, that whether or not they want to continue the war on Gaza, that they want it all to stop until their families come home because they know the war on Gaza is going to kill their families regardless of whether they state that it's meant to save them. You can't bomb them into freedom. It's ridiculous. But here... Is an Israeli journalist from Channel 13 News, who is now is publicly discussing that they've been lied to, and even show you clips of them lying about the atrocity propaganda. The same stuff, by the way, they keep citing in UN discussions, in all their in the ICJ. They mentioned the forty beheaded babies. They just keep lying. They can't stop lying about this stuff. Here's even the Israeli media breaking it down. I don't think that's the right one. Hold on. Wait, now, you know, I forgot this was in. I forgot this was in here. I was almost going to read it for you. That's too bad. I forgot. I just I usually don't I usually just read them on, okay, let's go back to this then. It's bigger. It's I like the way you can hear it though, because I guess for the podcast, it makes it more real. But this the links are always included. So he says, Good evening. He said so we'll be talking about the new hostage deal outline. Will it be able to end the negotiations, the deadlock? Now it says, but before that, let's watch the following footage of the Kafir Brigade commander from Channel 14. You've seen this. Oh, you know what? That's why I should do it this way, so you guys can hear it when I do play that. Hold on. We arrive in the Kibbutz Be'eri, and there I (laughs) encounter two main images of the battle. One, one is a nursery amazing. school with innocent <inaudible> children <inaudible> that were butchered, killed <inaudible> As you see the children <inaudible> inside the house <inaudible> he says <inaudible> eight babies <inaudible> eight babies died another image
8: <inaudible> an elderly an woman from Kabushba area. <inaudible> and he says, he
1: says he saw the number engraved on her arm
8: and <inaudible> <When> you say <inaudible> that went, <inaudible> that's
1: what they went through the holocaust now what a convenient overlap Auschwitz, in the end, and died in Kibbutz Be'eri. That's not something that we can't even understand. Now, actually, now I think about it, I'm not sure if he's implying that that was a person that was in the Holocaust, but why would you have an engraved number on your arm? I thought it was... In any case, I took that as them saying that was Hamas that did that. But in any case, this is what he says. Well, eight babies were killed, were not... Well, no eight babies were killed in Be'eri. You can prove this now because of the numbers after the fact.
9: <laughs> so that's a lie.
1: According to the Kibbutz spokesperson. And there's no woman named Genya in Be'eri. So he just wholesale made that up. Not new. There's a countless number of these. So who do you think put them to that? Do you think that random IDF member just goes, I'm going to lie about this. And that happened 45 times? No, this is, in my opinion, which I have to say because I can't prove it, but I think it's very obvious. The, this is the government manipulating people, women. What, what's her name? Levy out there lying about P- images from 2022, saying it's a woman raped. It's a cr- it's incredibly obvious. They've come out and said they were hung on clotheslines, but I think they show in this one, the beheaded babies. I mean, over and over and over. And, and Haaretz has continued to show you that they were lied about this stuff. And we can't stand back and see that. But again, that's why the average people because of the independent media, they all see this, which let's stand back and recognize that's why they're so desperately trying to shut down this kind of control. They've lost control of the flow of information. They, that's why they're desperately trying to censor. That's quite frankly why I think I'm being sued now twice, apparently, and I'll get, get into that as we go forward as I feel it's necessary to show you. I was talking with James Carver about it last night. I'm, a, I'm being attacked guys legitimately, but I think it's because Everybody sees through it. And the people like us are having an effect. We're reaching people. And they can stand up and be like, you're racist. You hate X, Y, and Z. And they go, well, that's dumb. Here's, he's showing documents. Here's what you said two years ago. It's just not working for him anymore. (laughs) He says, watch some more
9: footage. (laughs) A soldier. (laughs) Remember this one? They were children here, babies, who were hung on <laughs>
1: clotheslines,
9: he says. <laughs>
1: that journalist almost immediately found out he was lying and pulled back the whole story. Doesn't stop them from
9: continuing to say it. He says, but he's
1: talking about what he's talking about, supposedly event in Kafir
9: Azaf.
1: They made it clear a long time ago. This did not happen. That this event simply didn't happen. Think about that. Think how powerful that is to have that on Israeli media. And it says, and by the way, he said these things, that that he, that he was told that it didn't happen. In a tour of foreign news journalists who came there.
9: And pay attention to what the police say,
1: the foreign media, not long ago.
9: And pregnant women, cut open.
1: Guys, the things that happen here
9: are so sick.
1: Just to, look, these are, he, by the way, you already know all these are lies, right? Look at the way, I mean, he screams disingenuous. He's acting. We know he is now. They're lying, right? But watch this through that lens. Knowing that he's lying, why, it's its so clear that this is about, and you, you get these kind of same feelings every time you see these things. When they they, they they reference the same overlaps, they I just can't believe what I'm seeing. It's like the same kind of thing. Now watch it with that lens.
9: Agav, he said the Sorry, we're back to the floor. Hey,
5: pregnant women. Cut open. Guys, the things that happen here are so sick. This is not a Netflix show, and it's not a cable news show. None of that. No,
1: this is real. Right? It's real. It's totally real. It's not fake at all. It's not fake. It's not a lie. It's totally real. That usually is an indication that someone's lying. Not of a gun. Sorry.
2: Women cut open. Guys, the
5: things that happen here are so sick. This is not a Netflix show, and it's not a cable news show. None of that. No, this is real life.
1: What do you mean it's not a cable news show? Aren't we supposed to believe that cable news is accurate? <laughs> like, I think he just stumbled, said the wrong thing. Point is, he lied. Also, didn't happen. So many terrible cruel, so terrible, cruel things
9: happened.
1: Some of the most cruel things that, 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 that
9: can, can be done to a human. October seventh.
1: why were these things that didn't happen said?
10: <clears throat>
1: it's called atrocity propaganda. Now, look. I don't. The whole point is here. They bat this back and forth, and he goes, "I, you know, I assume in order to increase the magnitude of the hatred for Hamas." as if it's necessary to say, you know, what people, he says, but what are people inventing? Serious people are inventing these events. He goes, the answer is that maybe they heard as a rumor, like they just try their best to kind of walk this back. and Well, they were upset and maybe they thought they were seeing it. Come on guys. Nobody believes that you don't make up some specific detailed abstract or rather detailed concept. That is what's the word I was looking for. Well, anyway, the point is that it has very specific concepts to it. The babies on the clotheslines, the, uh, the pregnant woman, her stomach cut open, The you know, these are flat lies, 40 beheaded babies. You don't just accidentally make these arguments or you don't relay rumors. The point is they lied to you at a massive scale to justify, as Sam Hussein, said many times, the killing of babies afterward, which continues to happen right now in Gaza. Let me know if you can hear me. Looks like the stream's dropping out. No surprise there. Yeah, and so, you know, this woman's the spread in the past, fictional story about a baby put in an oven. He says, But they again, they admit right here that it wasn't this person. It was Zaka, right? Zaka's that group that has been clearly jockeying for position in the atrocity propaganda realm. And they're, this same guy has still maintained the story, despite Tourette's proving that it was false, despite people in the area proving that it didn't happen there. But yet, they just keep saying it. That's how this works. Now, here is a specific point about the rape allegations that I thought was really important to include. Cuts News Network and many others pointed this out. The Israel Broadcasting Authority has reported that an Israeli reserve soldier has now been accused of raping a female soldier during a military operation, which, if you understand their history, is pretty common. It says the reports come amidst a wide range smear campaign by Israel trying to accuse Palestinian resistance fighters of rape without allowing an independent investigation or providing any evidence or rather specifically any proof, but the evidence they're providing is secondhand, thirdhand, relayed through the IDF, statements. It's just—it's really crazy how much they've pushed this with basically no evidence. Now, here is why I think this is so interesting. This is not new. This is 2017. Times of Israel. One in six female IDF soldiers sexually harassed during army service. Now, quite frankly, I'd be willing to argue you're going to find something similar in the U.S. military. But this is 2017. One in six. Now, you'd think after this being called out by the corporate media and people calling attention to it, to the government, hey, guys, there's a problem in our ranks. And they even take action. They did. And they say, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Then jump forward to 2022. It doubled. A third of Israeli female soldiers were sexually harassed in 2021 or rather yeah, whatever it was 17. Yeah. The point is. <laughs> it's obviously getting worse. And this is not a new concept. So I think it's very telling. And and then, by the way, we've gone over this in the past. You'll find these things ad nauseum. Deceased Israeli soldier boasts about raping Palestinian women. Israeli army officer convicted of raping women. You know, and many of these are where they get caught and then get off. This, one, this person accused of raping an 11-year-old girl. It's very prevalent in the conversation. Now here, that's why I think it's very interesting. Now, this, again, is an ongoing investigation about uh, something that appears to happen quite frequently in this country. But this is new. This is from, um, well, rather not new, but the December of the 2023. So it looks like about a month ago. IDF appears to push back on, quote, irresponsible claim that Hamas is refusing to release raped hostages. I think this is hilarious. So you've got a point where the media, or rather the government and the Zionist leadership of Israel are screaming about no one was believing, you know, the truth of everyone was raped. And then there's basically zero evidence to back it up. And then as tip we continue to see, as Biden walks out and says he saw the 40 headed babies, and then 30 seconds later they go, no, he didn't. He's just, He's confused. That's not true. And the whole story falls apart. Well, Matt Miller came out, remember? They even name him in this discussion and says, well, they probably didn't release him because they were being raped or he didn't, that's paraphrasing, but he absolutely made that insinuation. And I think it was Matt Lee and Saeed, I forget which two, just went to town on him. Like, how are you going to make that claim? He said, what's the evidence behind that? He goes, well, I don't have any evidence. So he clearly, for whatever reason, decided to float the idea. And even the IDF was like irresponsible. <laughs> I just think that's ridiculous. The IDF says public discussions about the state of captives held in Gaza has moved to reckless territory. The quote, the conversation around the issue is irresponsible, inaccurate, and should be avoided. So they're chastising Matt Miller for suggesting they're being raped in Gaza while pushing a narrative that they're all raping everybody. How does that even possibly make sense? So the point is, bottom line, in every way, even from the IDF, they're telling you we don't have evidence of that. It's right there. Now, Mohammed Shahida points out, Shihada points out another interesting dynamic to all of this. Haretz says family of hostages are, quote, resorting to increasingly graphic descriptions, both real and unreal horror scripts, that's their quote, in order to pressure Israel's government to return the hostages. So here's another dynamic to this. So not only are they forcing what are either somehow manipulating people to lie about all this stuff. The entire rape allegation push was backed by nothing. and I'll even include the points here that shows you that their own people said, look, we don't have the evidence. The time has passed. There was a window to, to get forensic evidence. And for whatever reason, you didn't want that to happen. They have excuses, but they weren't justified. There was an entire period where they were well past the original stage of this, where they definitely, when all they do is forensic, would have gone after specifically forensic evidence. Somebody told them not to, or it wasn't available. That's the other part point is they point back and go too late evidence of Hamas October 7th rape slips away and what they mean is it wasn't present we didn't have it we didn't look for it and now we can't so there is never a, 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 a as far as Israeli courts go you can never out- prove that somebody committed this tip because the ev- they need that evidence in Israeli courts to make this allegation so even within their own legal system they know they can't but they still force you to say it otherwise you're racist so what he says here, or this this article here says. Oh, I already got it. The rape descriptions are intended to persuade the government to return the kidnappings. It won't help. Wow. So even the even the point where we've gotten after the fact, where they go, look, here's a people saying that they not that they experienced it, but that they think it's happening there. Or there was, a, I think this is the one here where they spoke up. Yeah, this, this this was not that long ago. I saw this, actually. There's a girl in front of the Knesset reading, saying the girls are raped there and no one reports them. These are mo- moments there are some sitting in a cave and raping. Like, not that she saw that, but this is what they're arguing, right? The point is that that now turns out they've said this to try to force their hand, to bring them home. And what they say in the article, it went the other direction. It says, you know, in order to persuade them, but the strategy is backfiring because, quote, This is what they said. It activates their desire for revenge instead of negotiations. So all you did was give them the ammunition to be able to claim, see, we told you people were raped, even though they don't have any evidence of that. And it even went the other direction. And now these people are speaking out and going, we just said this to get them to bring our families home. I mean, every angle of this, it's collapsing in real time. And the people in Israel are the ones that are seemingly starting to call it out. Read it for yourself. Oh, I did have them highlighted here. So it's the one I just showed you for the most part. Let me let me find this real quick. The these casting huh? This seems oh excuse me. This seems. This seems to be utter helplessness of those who seek to perpetuate the vulnerable existence of their sisters, daughters. Supposed to care, but she. Oh, that, that, what they're saying is that people whose government is supposed to care for. But choose to ignore. I just want you to see that that they're literally these are this is his Haretz speaking to the people. and what they're telling you is the government is supposed to care about us, and they are ignoring us, us and our families. I, as much I don't care what you how much Biden says or Matt Miller denies. the people of Israel are acutely aware that they at the very least don't care about their family members, even though that's a central argument for why all of this makes sense. It's crazy to me. Now, in this, it just says they're they they take the, they're taking to more graphic descriptions, both real and non-real, in order to get them to do what they want. It's very clear. Now, I'll include the ones we've discussed before. Robert did a great breakdown on this. Did Hamas mass rape Israeli women? Here's what the evidence actually says. Not much has developed since then, really at all. Read it for yourself. It's a great breakdown. I've covered this twice. I think actually more than that, but specifically, Haaretz exposes atrocity propaganda and were rapes committed on October 7th? Let's review the evidence. And this one, which we've shown you, they were caught using the old image, which I don't have on the top of my, uh, let me see if it pops up. It look like it. Well, Oh, well, I don't like, this is just the mass rape breakdown. I can't do one more thing. Hold on, actually. So I, I think this is an important one to include for people. Because. There we go. Oh, shoot. I think I just ended a stream somewhere. Apologies. I'm all over the place. I just wanted this one link that it was included in a bunch of other stuff I had. So this, as you've seen before, is the image that's used, it's graphic, so heads up, that has been used by multiple both by Levy and the whole rape investigation, as well as other websites claiming this proves is a, is an image that I have archived to at the very least 2022. And they keep using this image. So I just think it's important to understand that that they were caught using the old image on that website. Then they quietly removed it. It's just so obvious. And again, after that, I think it was Max uh, Blumenthal caught Levy using that in her presentation. It's incredible. All right. So moving on to the next segment. Let me see. I hope I didn't close something I needed here. Looks like, yeah, I think we're good. So let's go on to Qatar and the hostages. Since we're talking about they ultimately, you know, the lack of concern for their own people or, or as well as the Palestinians, obviously, but this is the important segment to show you that they literally don't care about the people they're claiming are the central reason they're doing this. Now, this is Netanyahu's office is now under fire over leaked tape of criticism of Cutter. And this gets really important. It's interesting, and I've been really calling out the fact that I think they're allowing that. And by the way, I not that I think they said on the record. They said on the record that they were allowing. They we're not going to go after Cutter, not Griffith Hamas. That was Netanyahu in the beginning of this. How does that possibly make sense if your goal is to eliminate Hamas, but you're going to allow them to stay over there? And the point is they're only these wealthy entities because the leadership have been siphoning off money from what Netanyahu's been giving them. Or ever taking directly what they're... And that money is coming from things that are supposed to go to help the Palestinians. So they're not inaccurate when they say that Hamas is taking this, but the point is that it's Hamas because of Israel funding them to do that. And I've I've got this right here, as just in case you wanted to see it again. This is Heretz two days after October 7th, quoting Netanyahu and what he said in 2019. Anyone who wants to thwart the establishment of a Palestinian state has to support bolstering Hamas and transferring money to Hamas. Quote, this is part of our strategy. It's just so disingenuous that people don't include this when you're criticizing what Hamas did. At the, well, you can say that, but then you have to include that Netanyahu funded them to do it or that they did it after he funded them. So the point here is that we have to recognize that they've, allowed these people to become these wealthy manipulators because they've used them. So now it looks like Netanyahu deliberately leaks this in order to break down what was building towards another hostage exchange. It says families of Israeli hostages held in Gaza have accused Prime Minister Netanyahu of personally leaking a tape in which he criticized uh, uh, Cutter's role in the swap negotiations. Quote, all conversations that take place in meetings with Netanyahu are recorded by his office and his associates presented the meetings. Right. So what they're insinuating is he did this. The families participating in the meeting had their phones taken at the entrance. So nobody else could have had it. It says Cutter, from my point of view, is no different. This is what Netanyahu says. This is what the leaked documents or the recording says. Cutter, from my point of view, is no different in essence than the United Nations or the Red Cross. It's even more problematic. It says, I have no illusions about them. They have leverage over Hamas because Cutter funds them. Oh, is that what's happening? Like, it's very clear that there's a coordination here and you're throwing them under the bus as far as I'm concerned. Netanyahu said, look, and I'm not trying to say Cutter is clean of all this, but it's obvious who is making this the reality, in my opinion. Netanyahu has said he got, quote, very angry recently with the Americans for renewing a deal to extend U.S. military presence at a base in Qatar for the 10 years. Now, think about that for a second. So this is a country that has Publicly allowed Hamas to have offices in central locations in Qatar. That's a public conversation, right? And you're all telling us Hamas is like the biggest new thing. It's only a matter of time before it's on US shore, even Biden, even the US government, but yet you're working out of the local, you're working with that government. Like, so it just shows you they don't care about any of this stuff. They are the ones funding these entities. They're working with the worst of the worst because it's the way that they operate. They want you to think they're doing that. But think of the contradiction of allowing Cutter to be the mediator while they're hosting the op- the leadership that you've been funding. And then the U.S. government has bases in the location. And I mean, it's just so plainly obvious that this is about something other than going after Hamas. It says the leaked comments drew fire from Cutter, which accused Netanyahu of deliberately sabotaging. I put that word in there, but that's the point. Sabotaging the talks for hostage release. For political reasons. It says there was no comment from Netanyahu's office. Of course not. Because you want to act like it's not going on. The Palestinian resistance groups demand an end to Israel's deadly offensive on Gaza for any deal on a prisoner swap with Israel. That's the point. they're saying, look, we're not asking for three-day pauses for you to give some faux aid, let a few people out to only arrest them again and start everything back over. Because that is what's happened. They've scooped up far more than they ever released in the first pause. So it says the Israeli government has rejected calls for halting its brutal war on Gaza until destroying Hamas and releasing hostages. Right, So it's just to be very clear about this. Their, Their goal is the destruction of Palestine, which they say is Hamas. And that second, that's primary, and the hostages are a distant, distant second. It's all very clear. Dan Cohen writes that Netanyahu, and I, this is, this was this was my suspicion when I read this. And obviously, they state that pretty clearly, but Dan confirms this with his own research, that Netanyahu planted recordings of himself attacking Cutter, which is mediating between Israel and Hamas. He told families of captives that Qatar is more problematic than the United Nations and Red Cross. His political survival depends on permanent war. I was mentioning that earlier in the show, right? This is the latest tactic to prevent any progress in negotiations for a ceasefire and captive exchange, right? This is desperate to control his own, to, to, to maintain his own power at the expense of quite literally everything. Israel, Israelis, Palestinians, foreign policy, everything. Now here is the representative, the official spokesperson for the Ministry of Affairs from Qatar. We are appalled by the alleged remarks attributed to the Israeli Prime Minister in media reports about Qatar's role. These remarks if validated are irresponsible and destructive to the efforts to save innocent lives. Which is the point. They don't want to do that, Israel. For months, and following a successful mediation last year that led to the release of more than 100 hostages, and again, remember, Israel scooped up quite twice as many since then, probably more than that. Qatar has been engaged in regular dialogue with the negotiating parties, including Israeli institutions, attempting to establish the framework for a new hostage agreement, which they don't want, and the immediate entry of humanitarian aid into Gaza, which Israel is actively stopping. If the reported remarks are found to be true, the Israeli prime minister would would only be obstructing and undermining the mediation process. That's the point for reasons that appear to serve his political career. Instead of prioritizing saving innocent lives, including Israeli hostages, they are all very aware of this in Israel. Instead of concerning himself with Qatar strategic relations with the United States, we hope Netanyahu decides to operate in good faith, hardly and concentrate on releasing the hostages. It's the last thing that's going to happen in my opinion. Here's the cradle reporting Egypt and Qatar are turning a cold shoulder to Netanyahu. This was today. It says, doubling down on Netanyahu's comments on Thursday, Jewish supremacist finance minister Smotrich accuses Qatar of, quote, financing terrorism. See how this works? Same thing the U.S. government does. Suddenly, this group that you were cozy with 30 seconds ago goes afoul of what you're doing. You're a racist. You hate Jews. You're a terrorist. You're Hamas. Okay, I mean, I'm not even going to disagree for, for other reasons in regard to what they're involved in regarding terrorism, but where's the evidence? The point is, it's not even about presenting anything. It's about you casting allegations because they go afoul of what you want. Sort of like when I say the Israeli government just murdered people and they go, you're a racist. <laughs> just, okay, you can keep arguing these things, but it's not working anymore. And it says, instead, the Gulf Kingdom is responsible for the Israeli army's failure to rescue a single captive held by Hamas in Gaza. Oh, it's Qatar's fault? Like, think about arguing it is their fault, even though they're not present on the ground, for why they have failed to rescue somebody as opposed to the fact that Qatar's mediation has brought people home. So their own ineptitude is being blamed on a group that's not even involved in what's going on on the ground. That's pretty feeble. But it says Qatar encourages terrorism, they claim, finances terrorism, pushes terror, and is playing a double game. Okay, then why are you even working with them up until now? I mean, do they not think these things through? So if that's the case, then you've been working with an open terrorist group that you think is a terrorist group. Doesn't that show you something? Or you're lying about that. I mean, it's the same thing you did with the Sudan. You say the Sudan are a bunch of terrorist groups. And then, but, but if you agree to normalize with Israel, we'll just pretend that's not the case or you were always lying that they were terrorists. Either way, their own policy and practice shows you that they're disingenuous. But it says, we could get all 136 hostages tomorrow if Qatar would give Hamas an ultimatum to return all the hostages. Oh, so now it's on them to deal with the group that you... I mean, this is so abstract. You've been allowing them. You could have gone after the leadership in Qatar immediately. And it says, and if the West would give Cutter an ultimatum to do that. Oh, so now it's the U.S. government's fault for not forcing Qatar to make an ultimatum with Hamas, which they, why would they be obligated to listen? This is just some desperate stuff. They're trying to, they're, they are projecting at anybody, everybody. It's the U.N. It's the amnesty. It's the U.S. It's the U.N. It's everybody. You're all racist. Everybody hates me. You starting to see the point? Making matters worse for Israel, Egyptian President Sisi refused to have a phone call. Even Egypt, I mean, the government of Egypt at the very least has been, they've normalized and so on, but they've now soured that relationship, and it's easy for CC to fall back because his entire population is absolutely livid at Israel. Channel 13 reported that upon Netanyahu's request, the Israeli National Security Council attempted to coordinate a phone call with CC, but the latter did not respond. That's quite the shift of power, isn't it? Cairo has been growing increasingly unhappy over Israel's demands to have greater surveillance and control over the Philadelphia axis, the the crossing, which they've already told you they want control over, which all continues to show you is that they want to be able to dictate even Egypt's side of this because then they can force them into Egypt. It says, quote, the recent period has seen numerous statements from Israeli officials, particularly Netanyahu. Making claims and false accusations regarding the alleged smuggling operations of weapons, explosives, ammunition, and I knew it, and other components into the Gaza Strip from the Egyptian territory. Remember when I told you the allegation of, of drug smuggling. They said that's what they drug smuggled, and we had to shoot and open fire in the in the area that they were. People had told you they were planning to do a false flag, and what now you got Egypt going? They're making this stuff up. Because then they can say, well, Egypt's allowing terrorism. We have to take control of this. It's the same thing the U.S. government does. And who knows whether it's chicken or the egg, right? Very well could be that the U.S. is learning from them. But it says he added that the lies being spread by Israel to justify seizing control of the border point constitutes a breach of the security agreement and protocols previously signed between him and Egypt. You think they care about that or anything else they sign? These are terrorists we're talking about. Army, Israeli army, is refusing this was on uh, this was on, uh, this is last year by the way, but in October to pay the salary of Netanyahu's hostage coordinator. I just thought, I hadn't seen this and I thought this was very interesting. The point is that I think at every possible level, the idea that they were ever ever interested in trying to save the people that were taken is proven a thousand different ways to be false. The Hannibal directive is the obvious point, right? But it's it's in every way they seem to be trying to belittle and and stifle any real effort to to have these kind of exchanges. And this is why you get their feeble talking heads on Twitter that come out and say, Hamas rejected the offer of Arziz ceasefire. He's just making stuff up. I mean, it's not even remotely accurate. And this person falls up and says, there are nothing but lies coming out of these Zionists. The deal was, and we've already made this point, to release all hostages in exchange for a two-month ceasefire. They won't end the war. This is Israel. There was no discussion about humanitarian aid. There is no end to the blockade. There is no end to the occupation. And quite frankly, in my as my, in my, if I remember correctly, it was not all hostages. It was, in fact, a minimal thing. The point is Israel is doing these incremental aspects of it that are only going to allow them to take everything back that they once gave up and to continue their plan. But it says Israel will continue all the atrocities against Palestinians after two months. Who is going to agree with this? They won't want their people. The point is, it's obvious that they will continue. The point is about finding some resolution, some actual pause from this, which doesn't have to stop your actions against Hamas. The point is that what you're doing is against all of Palestine. And everybody's starting to see that, even those that were pushing back. Now, this is what we just showed you the, the other day. These are the families. I'll just play it real quick so you can hear it. Basically, these are the families raiding the Knesset one day after Netanyahu rejected a ceasefire. Right, so here's Eli David just ignorantly lying all over Twitter about this. Here are the families breaching in, saying, "What the hell? Look at how mad they are!" It's because he's refused a deal for their families. It's, it. It's it. He, they're literally screaming, "You will not sit here while our children die." The Israeli government sacrificing its own people. See my point? You, you know, you, imagine how desperate and uncomfortable it must be for these people to be just blatantly lying. Like all the clout he thought he built up during COVID, whatever else. I mean, they're going to lose this. They're going to drift away as some only Zionist topic. Like no, everybody can see through them that have any honesty in them because they're just wholesale lying about stuff. Now, here's an interesting point. Here's one of them, by the way. Hen Mazig is one of these people that have been just screaming. It's basically, you'll find the most identical post every day on all their platforms, David and Hen and Eli Levy. Here's what he says. Palestinians in Gaza demand the release of the Israeli hostages today. Now, look, first of all, certainly possible that exactly that is happening. Why that somehow makes a point, I'm sure there's people all over any country of any boot grouping of people that disagree or agree with the policies or what's happening Maybe these people are of the mind that them taking them in the first place is putting their lives at risk, which in, in a way it is. Not, it, it obviously is. But the point is that they mostly, largely agree with the fact that their entire lives have been suppressed, and so this is an action towards self-determination. But in any case, it wouldn't surprise me that there are Palestinians that are just going, please, just let them go so we can go back to the life we thought we had before. But I don't think that's what's happening. It says, IDF spokesperson reports that Palestinians protest near a hospital in central Gaza And expressing their anger at the situation they claim is Hamas and it's towards Hamas and have caused in Gaza. That's this is all his framing, right? It's saying they demand the return of the kidnapped Israelis to their homes. Okay, well, guess what? They have been offering that. This is the part they just happen to leave out you know, that they've offered a full exchange more than once from the very beginning. The Israelis know that. That's why they're angry and pushing into the the political scene going, what are you doing? To take our families home? He rejected the deal. What, what was the deal for? A full exchange for all the people and a ceasefire. So my point is these people are protesting that that's not being allowed to happen or that they're just simply asking for Hamas to release them anyway. My point though is to simply frame all of this as a one-sided thing is just it's manipulative. It says so that the war will stop and they can return home. Okay, well, you could read that both ways, couldn't you? The, what entity is stopping that from happening? Hamas is going, here, we're offering. They don't want that. They want a limited, here. we want three days ceasefire for 100 people. No, <laughs> here's all of them for all of ours and a ceasefire. And they say no. So you can, you can agree that that might not be in the best interest of the Israeli state. But the point is, if your argument is it's all about the people and the hostages and taking our people back, they would take that. Why couldn't you just go back to war with Hamas afterward you break everything else? So these people want that to end. I think that they're making this into something it's not. Israelis want this to end. You're right. So take the ceasefire deal. Palestinians want this to end. You're right. So take the ceasefire deal. They don't want that. They want war. They want absolute destruction. The only ones who want it to continue are Hamas. Well, that, then why are they offering a deal for full ceasefire? Like it's pathetic how obvious these lies are. And let's realize at least that's as they're claiming, but we can prove at least, what, 15 of them? Hamas says 60 hostages have been killed in Israeli airstrikes on Gaza since the 7th. Well, their own people have made that claim. Their own Hannibal directive has been activated. They've shot three of them in real time. Three of them died from gas poisoning. It's obvious that it's, it's easy to see. And let's not forget that Israel also admitted that their numbers are correct. They're killing their own people. I think we need to be honest about that. Dan Cohen writes, the government of Israel, the cabinet of my country, or excuse me, he's this is, uh, I think it's Noam Dan saying this, the government of Israel, the cabinet of my country, my prime minister, my defense minister, they are enacting on my family, on our citizens, on civilians taken captives from their homes, the Hannibal directive. This is on Israeli corporate media. She's mainstream, And Dan writes, Mainstream Media is covering up the undeniable fact that Israel is sacrificing the captives of Gaza in order to commit genocide. And he writes, neither Jake Tapper, Sean Hannity, or Maddow, or Tucker, or any of them will even admit this. And he writes, they're all in Israel's pocket. I agree with that. But think about that, guys. This is very, very clear. She was there. She watched them kill people. She's speaking out and saying, they're doing this. And yet we all just pretend, some lot pretend it's not even there. Well, here's an interesting point. Hall of Dreams reporting that Haaretz is saying that General nitzan Alon reported that there is a possibility that the three prisoners who were killed as a result of inhaling toxic gas after secondary chemical reactions, trying to kind of water down the thing they said was false to begin with, remember? Here is on the 17th, IDF says it's unclear how these hostages have died. Well... The point is the mother has already gotten the report who spoke out and said that you poisoned my son and lied about it. Dan Cohen covers the whole thing. And then on the 22nd, they follow up. Israel must investigate how these three Israelis died in Hamas tunnels. Like if people are wanting to, and the point is it has come out. They're now admitting that there was that, but it might've been the secondary aspect of it. They're killing their people. I think we really need to be honest about this. Dan's doing great work covering this. Now, in this very point, we talked about that earlier on, the, on January 20th. U.S., uh, this one, Israel kills hostage with poison gas. That's, that's based on Dan Cohen's work. Yet again, that far ahead of the, the mainstream narrative as it finally comes to terms with what we could prove all the way back then. Now, here's an interesting point about this. As they're seemingly just killing everybody, I guarantee you there's plenty of people in the IDF that don't like this, don't agree with this, don't think that's what they are. Now, as we've shown you, I think it's easy to prove that a, a, a majority—I don't know if it's seventy percent, ninety percent, or fifty-one percent—but a definite majority of people are on the side of what Israel's doing in Gaza. I think that's clear by in many examples. But again, as I always point out, I think that's Zionism manipulation. Sort of like I can prove to you that I think most Americans are blindly supportive of dangerous, aggressive wars based on nothing but seizing, at, at, you know, uh, resources and occupation and control because they've been convinced that that's somehow American or patriotic. Same thing. It's, it, it, they're wrong, obviously. Just like a lot of these Israelis, Israeli Jews, Israelis in general out there believe what they're doing because they've been brought up that way. But my point is, I do believe that not all of them blindly think this is acceptable. And the more they see it, the more that they watch the bad things happen or have be forced to do it themselves, this happens. According to the Israeli Broadcasting Corporation, half, Half of the Israeli settlers who evacuated the northern settlements on the border. Now, this is settlers. There's another point about IDF. But my point is just all of the population. These settlers on the border with Lebanon are, quote, suffering from post-traumatic stressed order and don't want to return to their homes. It just shows you that I don't think everybody fully agrees. But at the end of the day, it's these are illegal settlers. I don't have any sympathy for you feeling stressed out about your illegal occupation being removed. From Lebanese territory, which is what they're talking about. Well, this was the point. This is uh, Tal Miznik, an 18-year-old who has been sentenced to 30 days in prison with 30 more coming if he doesn't seem like this indefinite sentence because he's refusing to list an IDF, which is an increasingly growing issue for the for the Israeli government. People don't as in this. I've said this before. Broadly, pretty much everybody has to join the military. So that pretty much makes everybody a military target in the sense that they're all reservists. But ultimately that there are some loopholes as I used to understand it. Maybe that's changed today about going to college versus this. But he is saying, no, a conscientious objector and he's being sentenced to prison. What a democracy. Now here is Dan Cohen and Uncaptured News. Just this is the video I played for you before, but you can watch it. Israel is intentionally killing the captives in Gaza. There's so much evidence, it blows my mind. Now, two last points on this segment. Jeffrey Lefredo points out, and I already covered this. This is the teacher that they put in prison for saying that killing innocent people and people in Palestine were a problem. That's really what he's talking about. Denouncing the slaughter of innocent people in Gaza. So they put him in prison for that. He's a teacher. He's now being attacked by people. I mean, It's just so overwhelmingly obvious. This is nothing that we're told it is. Democracy, if that's even what we want, hardly. This is an authoritarian apartheid state. And the one I played for you earlier. Zionist, rather, Orthodox Jews being arrested by Zionists and put in prison because they disagree with Zionism. That's the reality. Now let's talk about the 24, 2024. There's different people stating different things, but it looks like the number is 24. IDF soldiers killed while they were illegally demolishing civilian infrastructure. Robert and I talked about this on the 23rd. Very important conversation. There's so much that Robert sees that many people do not. I hope you'll check it out. Now, here's what Elon Levy said on the 23rd. Israelis are waking up to an unbelievably painful morning with news that 21 reservists were killed yesterday in Gaza, dismantling Hamas terror infrastructure. Just so feeble and pathetic. The point is that you're, are you trying to garner sympathy well, probably the time it took you to write this, there was 100 children killed in Gaza or you know, people in general, or the fact that you're trying to act like these are people in war who are conducting a mil- an illegal war on an occupied territory and committing genocide at the order of the Israeli government, and they get killed in the process, which again, I said with Robert, nobody should celebrate d- death, my opinion. But my God, the way that you're this, this Willful ignorance of what you're actually doing to civilians in Gaza—you're a villain, man. You are a villain. It says Israel is a small place. We're all about to find out multiple connections through, you know, just it, it's about, it's about personalizing the story as opposed to the fact that these were 24 people that were trying to demolish civilian infrastructure illegally, which even your media is now covered. But he says the IDF has released 10 names. They were reservists, October 6. They were living ordinary lives. Okay. I mean, I don't see why that has any difference. You, they were in the process of a crime, and he says here, "It's a war we didn't want." That's not true. It's a war we didn't start. That's not true. It's a war we didn't even expect. That's not true either. As we can clearly see, they were warned about it months in advance, right up to the day it happened. But this guy is nothing but a liar. But a war we must win, and that we will, we, and that we will never forgive Hamas for making us fight. The only reason these things, look, this guy's near ratioed on everything he does. Nobody's believing these people. But here's what this person posts. A war we did not want, a war we did not start. Well, here's October 6th. 2023 is the deadliest year for Palestinian children, say human rights groups. Weird how it was the day before you claimed this all started. <laughs> They're liars, guys. It's very transparent. Now, here's the intercept. Showing you that 21 Israeli troops were killed while planting explosives for a controlled demolition in Gaza, right? That this and it's sound. Read it for yourself. It's not debatable, and I'll show you why. But this is what the IDF said on the 23rd: 21 IDF soldiers were killed in action yesterday, as they, which again I think is brought up 24, as they continue to operate against Hamas centers of gravity in southern Gaza. Is anybody proven that? It's it's as the international community has made clear. You have to prove that. You can't just float the idea and demolish a block, but that's what they're doing. So they're committing crimes based on that back and forth. It says based on the information available at this stage, to be clear, even if they genuinely thought Hamas was there, the point is what has been stated from the international community is that they have to prove that. As Scott Ritter points out about what what, I think it was Al-Shifa, it turns out after the fact by their own actions, they revealed that they didn't know that they thought or they were lying about it. So that was a huge war crime on the record. So was all of this. This is based on the information available at this stage. The troops were operating in eastern Gaza near Khan Yunus. And this is important because of how much destruction they're now waging and how many people are. There's war crimes being called out across the board now, right now, because of what happened in Khan Yunis. The forces were operating to re- remove structures and terrorist infrastructure that posed a threat to the security of the Israeli communities. These are all just nice words. They're completely devoid of fact. During the activity to remove the threat, it says an RPG missile was fired. So you're at war with this group. It's amazing how when you're at war with a group, that their their response to your destruction of civilian, or even if you were just fighting Hamas, is somehow a terror act. It's just, isn't that defense by your own definition? Simultaneously, there was an explosion which resulted in the collapse of a building which killed these people. Now, I'm not, the, the music on this is not, I don't, this is, I, I'm not okay with people trying to act like this is funny. Whether or not you feel it's justified, we got to have some reverence for human life. I just think that's important. But what they're showing you is the video they were making that they put out on their own channels, showing them making the explosives that they plant, which then proves that this is not some Hamas operation, as uh, uh, Matt Lee made a point of, which I'll play you in a second. Look at them making all these bombs. This is not some accidental thing. They are making bombs to plant in these locations to then demolition. That's what they're doing. And as Matt Lee pointed out, and Saeed, same point, do you know how long that takes? The fact that they go in there, carefully plant these things, which then by default proves that they're not a threat. The area is not a threat. In one of these locations, they did this. They buried people. They had to save some of them. So that means that they are either knowingly doing this in civilian locations, or it's obvious that they have cleared the area and are doing it, as we'll show you in a minute, as their own media proves, to clear out areas for settlements. This is the assistant professor of law and finance and chairman of the Euromed Human Rights Group saying Israeli soldiers, as you've seen, decide to detonate 21 homes belonging to innocent people in Bani Shuh- uh, Shuhilu, uh, Shuhilu, Shuhila East They're where they're focusing. Remember, the place where it's supposed to be safe, where this isn't happening, claiming that the explosion is in honor of 21 soldiers who were killed. This is so after this. So they're literally going, these people were just killed because they were illegally demolishing infrastructure and were shot while they were doing it. Now they're doing it again in a massive area, which you're about to see explode in the background in honor of them. See that? Are we pretending that's about Hamas when you tell them it's in response to people? Like this, that's retaliation during an illegal occupation, during an apartheid Zionist genocide. The brutality and mentality of Israel is unimaginable, he says. I agree. Here's the cradle. Showing you another one of these. In Khan Yunus an entire residential block. Look at that. You know, long that takes to set up. They, they, they're they acting. This was a complete uh, controlled demolition of an entire city block. And we're supposed to pretend like you would not. I mean, how do you do that without knowing the area is clear? Obviously. Here's another one. Zionists blow up the houses of civilians in con units. These are all different locations. Just filming and just massive explosion. These are all planted. They are organized. It's in a clear, organized, straight line. It's obvious what they're doing. Here is Israeli TV, where they are joking that he just can't sleep until he watches Palestinian homes being destroyed in Gaza. Oh, and they all laugh along with him. It says it right there. I can't get to sleep without watching homes in Gaza be destroyed. This is my point, guys. Like this is being this is seated. These people are sociopath, sociopathic. Khali points out, a soldier, of you can read this for yourself, a soldier of Israel's engineering corps went to Facebook to share how he and his brothers in arms in the IDF used 300 mines to blow up an entire neighborhood in Khan Units, which we just saw, as a revenge mission for being ambushed by one Palestinian fighter. That's what we just saw. They post about it. They say, we're doing this just to, for revenge. Seeing as how this public diary entry names battalions and even a commander, I figure evidence is important to preserve. Of course, nobody's going to care because it's obvious what's happening and your government and whatever body you think is going to respond as as part of this. Here's another example of what they're doing. Look, I'm smiling, posting all these minds they make. We must continue to subdue, crush, and mow down the Nazi enemy in Gaza with all our might. That's what he says. You think that means only Hamas? (laughs) They're going after everybody. Here is one you've already seen, which I think is important to to see again. Where they're watching this, the explosion of these buildings, and Matt Miller is just meekly, cowardly hiding from it, like this job, of course, define, demands of him.
5: The Israeli military occupied and destroyed the Israel University in Gaza. I mean, this is probably number ten of all ten universities that they have destroyed, and is it their assessment? of this department or this government, that this was a legitimate target.
11: So I can't speak to this uh, individual action. I don't have ind- independent information to yeah. verify that, but I Oh, but you do though.
1: You've got drone surveillance and you've got up higher up surveillance. You've got communications. You've got Israeli talk. You've already, and you've got people on the ground who are there helping with what's happening. Like this is just a flat lie, especially since it was just admitted in their own media that they were able to use that to be able to discern other things, but somehow can't figure out this most obvious to control demolition. But don't worry. They give them
11: hell for saying something so stupid. can say that we continue to urge Israel uh, to avoid damage to critical infrastructure um, mm-hmm. that would, of course, include universities and to ensure the protection of humanitarian and medical sites. That has been something we have urged from the outset of this conflict. It is very difficult. And again, I'm, I'm not talking about this particular site because I don't have information about this mm-hmm. particular site. But it is always difficult when you see Hamas yeah. use those civilian inf- mm-hmm. uh, uh, right. sites to uh, hide its fighters, to launch attacks on israel
5: but there you know there seems to be no evidence that there were any fighters in fact you know, any presence of any kind of military presence in the university itself i mean you keep saying that you want israel not to destroy the infrastructure yet we have seen almost the total destruction of all infrastructure including schools hospitals roads you know cemeteries you know, they just, you know, they they excavated a cemetery, for instance, and took bodies. I mean, this is not exactly, uh, tell us in any way that the government of Israel is really paying heed to what you tell them, you know, in, in any way, by any measure. They're not listening to you.
11: So we have seen them take some steps uh, to, avo- uh, to add civilian infrastructure to deconfliction sites. Um, there are other things that we have urged them to do that we want them to do better on.
1: So what exactly is a deconfliction site if they're bombing the safe areas? Obviously. I mean that it you really I'm hoping the somebody new here can really begin to see how easy this is to dismantle. Just feeble weak lies that they the only thing carrying them is their power and their forceful statement. It's just ridiculous.
11: Uh, It is an ongoing conversation between our two governments uh, and something that the secretary spoke directly with the leadership of Israel in his trip last week. But again, there is also this problem that uh, Hamas does continue to hide in and under civilian infrastructure. So when you see uh, a strike against any one Mm -hmm. civilian piece of civilian infrastructure to assess the validity of that strike, you have to know what it is that was there.
1: So you're willing to assume that they were to allow that to float for now, but you're unwilling to assume that they weren't without, like the point is that there's nothing being presented to prove that at all, in any sense. Even what he's saying with the, the fact that they've seen it happen before, show me. I would love to see a single example. I'm not saying it's not happening. I'm just saying, has anybody ever seen the evidence of what they keep citing? All these times they've been seen here. You can see videos, I'll show you one in a minute, of the idea of showing you some abstract tunnel that who knows where it is or what's going on or getting caught lying about those things. Have you ever seen a Hamas member or a rocket being shot from any? Th- no, you haven't. So this guy is just towing the line,
11: and we don't always know that yeah. uh, when I'm sp- at least I don't know that when I'm speaking from yeah. here. Based
3: on uh, Said's question about the the uh, demolition of the the university. I don't know if you've seen the video. It's pretty widely available. But it video. certainly looks I mean it looks like a controlled demolition. It looks like what we do here in this country when we're taking down an old hotel
1: or a stadium. Yeah. Here's the funny part to me. So they're saying it looks like that. Guy, they're openly telling you that. Now you can argue they did it because Hamas. My point is they're posting these on TikTok and Instagram and going we just destroyed these we destroyed this block because of what they did yesterday. Like they're and they're showing you the mines they're making. Right? I mean it's all public evidence and they just go out and they just demolish this, controlled demolition, and then he comes up and says it looks like this, matter we don't know we have to figure it out and make sure we do our due diligence. They just posted on Instagram. Like it's just so mind blow it's it's so frustrating that it can be this provable, and yet we watch the highest levels of power badminton this back and forth like they're trying to figure it out.
3: And you have nothing to say? You have nothing to say about this? I I mean, to do that kind of an explosion, you need to be in there. You have to put the explosives down, and it takes a lot of planning and preparation to do. And if there was a threat from this particular facility, they wouldn't have been able to do it.
11: So I have seen the video. Uh, I can tell you that it is something we uh, are raising with the governor of Israel as we do often do when we see when when we see to ask questions and 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 find out what the underlying situation is, as we often do when we see reports of this nature. Um, but I'm not able to characterize the actual facts on the ground before hearing that, that
3: response. but you saw the video.
11: I did see the video. I don't I don't know I don't know I don't know what,
3: what was under that bui-
11: being I don't know what something. was under that building, I don't know what what was uh inside well,
3: yeah, inside it doesn't matter building. what was under the building because they obviously got in there to put the explosives down to, to, so, to do it in I, a way that they did uh,
11: again i'm i am i am glad you have factual certainty about it. I just, I just don't. I don't. All I, I, I have don't. is I what do. I saw I, in the video. I just right? don't. And I think you guys but saw I can it too. Say, I, we did see it. and I can say that we have raised it with and the it's government not of troubling Israel. troubling to you? Uh, we are always troubled by, the, by um, uh, any degradation of civilian infrastructure. And- wow, you must be
1: super troubled seeing as how they've degraded literally all the infrastructure. So you must be just pulling your hair out every day because it's constantly happening. Clearly, they don't care.
11: Obviously, Gaza, but without knowing the actual underlying circumstances, I'm a little hesitant. I think, for reasons that should be understandable, to pass definitive judgment on it from this podium.
1: Right, forever, forever on and on, forever. Right, we will just flatly always go. It maybe we don't know. It could be there, sort of like saying it. No, no, no. Like a virus, could get worse. This new variant it could be worse, could be more dangerous, and just letting that float forever. Right, the same damn thing. He's literally saying that we don't know, even though you have the evidence to know and you can clearly prove that their own statements and posts online show you that you know, and all they do is go, well, we just don't know what's under the building. Are you going to look into it? Are you going to find out? Are you ever going to ask? It doesn't matter because they're willing to take the argument that that is the truth without any evidence, but are unwilling to take all the evidence we can show that proves that they are doing it because they're involved, obviously. Now here's Daniel Modas pointing out over the past three months, the Israeli military has been demanding the people of Gaza evacuate to the al Walasi region, which is west of Khan Yunis. The Israeli regime claimed the area was safe for Palestinian civilians, but at the same time targeted in, by intense Israeli airstrikes and artillery shelling during the past 12 hours, resulting in dozens of casualties among innocent people. And I'll show you countless ev- examples of this. Here are the people in the, in the hospital being brought in after the fact. Look, I mean, do we really need, I mean, this, this should be a foregone conclusion at this point. Haretz, the New York Times. They've used the most destructive bombs in the very areas they tell them to go to to be safe. And they're using the dumb bombs that are not specific, are not targeted or rather not, you know, precise per, that have been given to them by the United States government. By the way, again, who have people in Israel helping designate who they target. They're involved. So you th- when they're this complicit, they're in for the long haul. So they will lie to the end about this which very well may work. It has in the past. Let's make sure it doesn't. Knox Bilal points out these soldiers were killed in the houses they lined with mines after fire from Hamas. It says they were killed. They were. Uh, why were they lining the house with mines? She, she, has, she says, I've seen analysts speak of discipline and clearing mistakes today, but the IDF committed a war crime in the most pressing issue. The IDF says the buildings are be, to be destroyed for creating a buffer zone. So the residents... Of in houses in, in Maghazi area were reportedly marked for destruction, despite the fact that people lived there. The law on this is quite clear and unambiguous. The Rome Statute, which comprises the, the crimes that the ICC tr- uh, tries, says extensive destruction of property, quote, not justified by military necessity, is prohibited. Same statute again. Even if it exists extensive destruction, it is still prohibited, unless it is imperatively demanded by the necessities of war. None of this applies to what they're doing. And even though Israel is dismissive of the ICC, despite still being liable to uh, prosecution by the ICC for crimes committed within Palestinian territory, because they are part of it, the Fourth Geneva Convention, which Israel ratified, still prohibits the same conduct. My point is they don't care about any of these things. Everything like this, the UN, the ICC, they, they, they will use them against whoever they can, and they never fall. Same with the U.S. government. Nothing is sacred to them, and that's been made clear throughout history. I think the point is clear, guys. Obviously, they know what they're doing. Now, on top of that, getting into some points about unis in general, before we get into... Actually, I think this is... a uh, Hold on, let me make sure I didn't... Yeah, this is actually better to do first. This is more relevant to what we just came off of, and I'll show you some more stuff happening in unis. But this is another media report from Hebrew media from Israel. It's been translated, and it says, for the past two months... The IDF has been carrying out systematic destruction of all buildings within a kilometer of Gaza Strip without being criminalized as terrorist infrastructure. The death of the 21 soldiers yesterday is the second disaster resulting from the introduction of Israeli explosives in high quantities into the Strip. Systematic destruction for the purpose of creating a security strip along the border a kilometer deep into the Strip while risking the foot force's and without all the buildings being criminalized. Basically saying that they're risking the lives of soldiers for a non, that has nothing to do with fighting Hamas, while most of these buildings haven't even been deemed Hamas or criminalized in any way. In some places, it was reported that 100% of the buildings had been destroyed. See, this is what people are trying to get the average person to see. Those videos showing you, they've flattened this area. This is not about pinpoint targeting Hamas. They're destroying this for very clear reasons. Now, their own media, as I keep saying, has been breaking this down from the atrocity propaganda to the illegal demolitions. They're being exposed in real time. Now, here are some of the terrorizing things they're doing in the areas to, I don't know, drive out people or just hurt whoever they can. You might have seen this. Israeli troops are planting little detonators in Kanyunas schools that explode and kill when you open them. And now, I am not sure if they made these things to look like cans, or these just happen to look like cans and they use them for that purpose. Some people have told me they did this like these are improvised devices, which means that they would deliberately make them look like cans to to specifically target starving children. But it says they conveniently look like food cans to starving children. and There have already been examples of people opening these and dying. Think about how crazy that is. That is sadistic, which shouldn't surprise anybody at this point. Now here is a clip from Sky News, I believe. No, excuse me, BBC as seemingly everybody, including CNN, BBC, have meekly, cowardly come along to finally telling you what everybody else was already saying, because I, my point is that even these hacks and liars, they need to maintain their some influence. And so it's it, what it shows you is how clear everybody sees this. Now, of course, consider that they want you to see this. Always consider that. I just think the evidence is overwhelmingly obvious. This is because Israel is being belligerent. And they forced everybody to see what they've always been covering up for them, that they're a Zionist, racist, apartheid, illegal state and are willing to kill whoever, including their allies, to get what they want. Here's the BBC is now finally admitting in some way that they're detaining medics. <laughs> You'll get there or maybe not because you're cowards, but at least they're showing you that they're breaking the law
6: ministry in gaza run by hamas has said that uh, 50 people were killed in overnight bombing um and 100 people injured in around Khan yunis uh, there is intense uh, bombardment now aerial and naval around Khan yunis which is where israel believes the top hamas commanders are holed up
1: don't you love that so just because they just say that now it's funny how the top locations for them have constantly shifted to wherever the population is Now, I guess that could make sense to some people, or you could realize that they're just targeting Palestinians, and the broad excuse that they never have to prove is that there's Hamas there. Maybe, but they should have to prove that, as they've been killing 30-plus thousand people.
6: Uh, It is focusing also around a couple of hospitals in the South, one of which has been stormed with uh, Israeli troops uh, arresting the medics, uh, or taking them in for questioning the medics inside that hospital, and another one uh, has been surrounded, we understand, by Israeli tanks
1: or I don't know maybe taking them for questioning you know whatever let's just assume into what makes it not so bad for them what a coward right no they're detaining people because they're there and many of them never leave those prison cells again if you know it's so disgusting how obvious this is there's reports from people on the ground telling you that they were literally hanging people because they were hurt they were i mean it's so crazy no yes yeah, some of these could be made up the point is that you don't need to Make things up to see how grotesque this is. Their own actions are on full display right now. It's overwhelming. Here's the IDF. Now, let me ask you something. Everything we've shown you so far, all the demolition, all the killing, 30,000 plus people. And well, let just not take the full number. Just what I've shown you in Khan Yunus, right? Bom- well, actually, before we do that, how about we realize, and I'll come back to this, <clears throat> the what we're seeing here. Khan Yunus Vocational Training Center. One of the largest United Nations schools in the area that has 30,000 people. They're now bombing it. 43,000 people. It's being hit by their operations. And now tell you this is the second time in two days they're bombing this. Why? Because Hamas, they say. That's what they're telling you. Before we get past that, here's what they're telling you justifies that. All the demolitions of entire areas, even though their own media is reporting to you that it has nothing to do with Hamas... They want you to believe this is why. Does this prove anything to you? Now, who knows where this is? Old video or not? Looks like that same one we saw before. Who knows if this was built by Israel? Who knows? Maybe, if it cut, maybe this is anywhere else. It's saying all they're telling you is this is a stronghold, specifically in Khan Yunus. Okay, well, why didn't, okay, why would you make that the, the focal point? Why would you say, go here to be safe? If you hadn't checked to make sure if it was clear, are you telling me that you didn't even look to see if there were tunnels under the area that Hamas might've been in before you told them to go to the area to be safe? That seems pretty stupid. You're either the worst people, military presence in the world, which is certainly possible, or you didn't, this is not real. And you're just telling us they're there wherever you want to kill the population. My point in looking at this guys, look at the video. It's, it is a meaningless video that has no evidence whatsoever. We, how do we even confirm this is where they say it is? Of course, it freezes. Great job, Twitter. There it goes. It looks like you're inside of a house. How is that supposed to be indicative of some secret Hamas presence? The bottom line is none of this proves anything. And yet that's enough, apparently. They just go, here's a tunnel video that we've already caught them lying in every single time before this that justifies murdering all these people. And here's what defense minister says, Gallant. The operation in Khan Yunus, the place where they're supposed to be safe, will expand to other areas. Of course it will, because they've this is all of Palestine. He says we will expand our operation in this area, despite there being the safe zone, and smoke will continue to cover the Gaza Strip until we achieve our goals. They just don't care. It's right on the surface. Is that the smoke will cover Hamas areas? No, we'll we'll cover the Gaza Strip until we're done. All of it. Very, very clear. Now, if you needed any more evidence, here is a very specific example. There's just no denying this. And of course, what's his name? Just clumsily tries to hide from this, just like Matt Miller. They're on the record, even while this corporate media outlet was there, they shot an innocent Palestinian waving a white flag, walking in the right direction. As Glenn writes, there's simply no justifying this, except with the view that Palestinian lives, including children, have no value, which is so clearly the basis, the sometimes explicit basis of the destruction of Gaza. Anybody honest can see this by now.
12: In Gaza is over, and that still seems a long way off. Assessments will be made, and investigations will begin into how it was conducted by both sides, Hamas and Israel, whether the rules of war were followed. Tonight, News at 10 has evidence of a group of unarmed Palestinians carrying a white flag coming under fire in an area Israeli troops are now trying to capture, having previously declared it a place of safety. One of the group was hit and fatally wounded as our cameraman filmed. The Israel Defense Force has dismissed our evidence. The IDF is not aware of this incident, they told us. But our filming has, however, already raised questions about a possible war crime. What we are about to show is, by its very nature, distressing.
13: This is the edge of the supposedly safe area called Al Mawasi that the Israelis have been encouraging Gazan civilians
1: to flee to. Now, that's the important part. This is, not, this, is, this, is this specific location not all con units but the specific Alawasi location that they have been telling everyone to go to. Now look, you can stand they can stand back and say, "Well, we discovered Hamas there." Well, then why are you still telling people to go there to be safe cuz that's happening simultaneously. That's important to understand. So you're telling them to go to a place that you know you're going to bomb? It's just everything about what they're doing makes it clear that they're lying about what's really
13: going on. These makeshift homes have been vacated because the war is getting closer. The billowing smoke was evidence of the new Israeli offensive in Kan Yunus that has been forcing more families to evacuate and seek safety elsewhere.
10: No place in Gaza. Everywhere you are going, you will find the Israeli uh, army. They are shoot us. At home, any everywhere. building, in the street, everywhere you are, they will give you a chance, sometimes just for five minutes, sometimes do not give you any chance to take your clothes, to take your children, to take your family and to get
1: out of the building. This- I mean, how, how does anybody pretend that this is justified? No matter what you think actually happened on October 7th, no matter how much presence you think Hamas has, like it, it, the point is, because of their outrage, this, people's lives don't matter anymore. This is not supposed to be the way that we act like the Western societies operate, right? Or the rules-based international order. It just shows you they're just as bad as anyone they claim they're fighting. That's the reality.
10: This is our life in Gaza. It's very difficult.
13: These pictures were filmed by a cameraman working for ITV News in Gaza. As he moved forwards towards the combat zone, he noticed this group of men doing their utmost
1: to appear non-threatening. Look at the way they're standing. Okay, There is no way. And they were there filming before this. There's no way they're a threat. Their hands are up. They're waving a white flag. And in fact, they're walking to the south, as the next clip will make clear when he talks to him at, at the State Department briefing. They're walking in the right direction. They're doing everything they're supposed to do. Trying to proceed with care. They wanted to
13: reach two other family members and get them out of harm's way.
1: I have my mother, and my brother in there, and around 50 or 70 displaced people in another house. So, they're trying to get their family members and people that are afraid to move, rightly so, because of this reason.
9: He wasn't told us to evacuate and let my brother out. I'm going to go and try to get that.
13: The interview complete, our cameraman walked
1: away. And then. Personalize it for yourself while you watch this. Right. Imagine it's your mother, your brother, your sister who is trapped in an area that they're bombing and you're just going or rather specifically, they're bombing everywhere. So you understand that. But they're nonetheless, this is still the direction they're told they're supposed to go. And all you're doing is going waving a flag saying, I just want to get to my family. And this happens. This happened.
13: The interviewee had been shot and fatally wounded. You can see them place their flag on his chest. As he was carried away, the white flag was turning red. Carry him, they've killed him, yells this youth. Then suddenly, more gunfire. They scream at a child, telling him to find cover. By this stage, the man's wife, his widow, has heard what happened. And as she rushes to the scene, she meets the party, carrying away the body on a makeshift stretcher. When they're satisfied they're a safe distance away, they stop. And the morning starts. These tragic scenes have been repeated time and time again since this war began. At one point they tried CPR, but there was no bringing him back, his husband and father. Yet another innocent Palestinian civilian killed while posing no threat whatsoever. John Irvine, News at 10, Tel Aviv.
12: Well, the Israel Defence Force's assessment of our filming was that it had, they claimed, clearly been edited in the first instance. Of course, they have a duty to investigate the incident. Uh, John's been taking a look at it and seeking legal opinion on what it shows, John.
10: Julie, more than 25,000 deaths have been reported in Gaza since the 7th of October, mainly civilians, many women and many children. Israel's critics already say that amounts to a war crime. But now, just one more killing, this time beneath the white flag, the international symbol of surrender. Is it enough to reach the same damning judgement? A civil rights lawyer who watched our video says it is compelling evidence. This group of five people are unarmed. They don't have any weapons of any kind. They're waving a white flag. They do not present a threat. So to shoot them without warning, just like that, it's an execution. Now, this is not the first time nor the first war in which the Israeli army has been accused of firing on innocents carrying a white flag. After an Israeli incursion into Gaza at the end of 2008, human rights groups documented 11 such deaths. A subsequent UN inquiry blamed both sides for human rights abuses.
1: Of course they did, with much more influence. But the point is, was this October 7th forward? Clearly not. So it's strange how this definitely didn't start after October 7th, as much as the Elon levies of the world would scream at you every day. Clearly, this has been ongoing. And you guys know this, you've been paying attention.
10: Then two months ago, three Israeli hostages, Alon Shamritz, Yatom Chaim, and Samir Talaka, escaped their captors and approached Israeli troops, waving a white cloth. All three shot dead. After that, the army's chief of staff made public a clear message to his troops. Think before pulling the trigger.
1: My God. It's such a lie because what we now later found out was that two of them were shot. The third was shot 15 minutes later after they coerced him out from behind the building. After he's been screaming, I'm an Israeli hostage. And the two people, two of them shot him as he walked out. That's an accident? I mean, God, come on. Like there's so much evidence to this. It's, it's infuriating. You're right. There is simply no justifying this. Here is Rishi Sunak. Equally in a feeble response, acting like this doesn't, we don't know for sure, even though you don't need an international human rights lawyer to tell you what you saw there. It's obviously wrong, whatever you want to label it. But here's how the governments respond from the rules-based international order.
14: Last night, as Tory MPs were once again fighting amongst themselves, the public were sat at home watching John Irvin of ITV News report on footage from Gaza of an unarmed Palestinian man walking under a white flag being shot and killed by the IDF. Prime Minister, such an act constitutes a war crime,
15: does it not? Yeah. Mr. Speaker, we've been absolutely consistent that international humanitarian law should be respected and civilians uh, will be, should be.
1: What what does that mean? I'm so tired of the, well, we've said repeatedly, that's not even the premise. You could, just because you say, I keep saying things out loud that don't actually back up what I do, it's meaningless, but this is politics for you. This is why it's becoming hopefully more and more clear to the average person that anybody who believes in this process, the inner pure dynamics of the two-party paradigm, are either that stupid or are part of the illusion. I'm not trying to make it that binary. There's a middle ground. But my God, it's time to recognize how this hamster wheel that we're in if we play this game.
15: Protected. I've made that point expressly to Prime Minister Netanyahu and the Foreign Secretary is in the region this week making exactly the same point.
8: Stephen <laughs>
14: Mr Speaker, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to rise to that dispatch box and tell the people of these isles and elsewhere that shooting an unarmed man walking under a white flag is a war crime. Now, Now, in recent weeks, this House has acted with urgency and intent following an ITV drama. The question is, will this House... Now show the same urgency and intent following this ITV news report. And finally, back a ceasefire
15: in Gaza. Mr. Speaker, no one wants to see this conflict go on for a moment longer than necessary. And we do want to see an immediate and sustained humanitarian pause.
1: A sustained humanitarian pause. Like they can't even say ceasefire and realize they don't because they keep refusing it.
15: To get more aid in and crucially the hostages out, helping create the conditions for a sustainable ceasefire. I set out the conditions for that earlier in the House. The foreign secretary is in the region today, and we will continue to press all our allies and partners to make sure that we can bring about that outcome.
1: How it's just such meaningless nonsense. Now here, th- now that, that that's the UK responding to the same thing. Here is the State Department briefing. Censored News put this out, where they're asking him about this about the white flag and how this is how your rules-based international order, U.S. government, responded.
15: I had the chance to see uh, some of the footage uh, shot by our cameraman in the Gaza Strip, widely shared online, showing a group of men um, waving a white flag, representing no threat whatsoever, unarmed, uh, and moving south uh, to try and reach some relatives Um, The IDF opened fire, uh, as you can see on that video, and killed one of them, uh, Abu Salul. I wonder what your response to that is and whether you think from watching that video whether that potentially represents a war crime.
6: Um, I have seen that footage, um, but uh, I uh, am not going to comment on the specifics around that given I'm not aware of the full circumstances on the ground. Uh, And as we've said before, this is not um, an American operation.
1: and here's the point to make right there. And it's also important that he continues to try to repeat it's not an American operation, despite you having leadership on the ground helping what they're doing. It's just, this is like saying you're not at war, it's just a, it's just a flat lie. But the point is, it doesn't matter what else was going on. I don't care if that's the leadership of Hamas. The point is, under international law, they were not presenting a threat. They were waving the white flag. So even then, you're supposed to take them into custody and deal with them as such. So you're a leader of Hamas, but you're going to be arrested and charged. That's not what they're doing, is it? They decided, whether civilian or Hamas, that we're going to execute you because that's what we're doing. So this childish response to pretend like we don't have all the context, it doesn't matter. It's like saying that we don't know it's genocide, as we can prove that they've stated they want genocide. It's just a game of words. What you saw in that video was enough. Hands in the air, white flag, they shoot him. Period. But this is what you get from the supposed leaders of the free world.
6: As a general matter, though, we have not parsed our words about the moral and strategic imperative that the government of Israel and the Israeli security forces have to take every effort possible to minimize civilian casualties and minimize impact on... Does
1: that look like every... Po- I mean, minimizing casualties? You shot them while they were standing with their arms up. You know, this is why this is such a difficult job for these people, especially if they're not sociopaths, because you, you stand there speaking, knowing that they know you're lying. (laughs) like It's just like this game that must be impossible if you have any feelings whatsoever. Civilians,
6: as it relates to the footage that your organization has shared, again, I'm just going to refrain from commenting on specific operations as we do not have full circumstances of what on the ground from here this is. Except when Russia sneezes and it's a war crime because we said so, right? because you're ridiculous they an american uh operation i'm not on the ground there to speak to the uh full parameters of the situation it's but not, again it's not, it's not any uh, civilian death uh any civilian death is is heartbreaking and any uh civilian live lost same
1: point right geez you must your heart broke thirty-two thousand times my god you must be heartbroken or you don't care at all. Uh, is,
6: is one too many, and we have made that clear uh, with the Israelis, and we'll continue to do so.
15: Beyond that comment about it being heartbreaking, which is a platitude we often hear, right. um, are you? would you urge, uh, given that you, you support broadly support the IDF operations in the Gaza Strip, would you support an Israeli investigation of what happened in that video? That even, is for... Given that
6: they're waving a white flag and they represented no threat. That, that is for uh, the IDF. T-
1: he can't even say that. What what would be the harm of saying yeah I I would agree to an investigation shouldn't you always agree to that that's like saying flatly you condemn terrorism shouldn't you just be like we should always investigate no because they're so worried about the response of Israel even even you know that's the point I was saying before about Levy freaking out about a broad statement aimed at everybody because they know they're criminals and they know that everyone's focusing so everything's an attack if he says we should ask for an investigation they'll attack him for saying you you're somehow backwardly admitting that we It's an investigation. Shouldn't you care to find out the truth? He can't even say that.
6: This is desperation. To to undertake and determine uh, based on the circumstances of that uh, situation.
4: Did you actually reach out specifically to Israel about this footage and try to get whatever the facts that I, you guys are seeking
6: this footage just arrived uh, earlier this morning so i don't have any specifics of
1: uh of our diplomatic conversations around it, around this to speak right, well, to how about the footage that arose last Heard week? it funny by the way he just said that he didn't have anything to speak to but now he goes forward watch his response is that i won't speak to any diplomat. so why don't you just say that first it's well we don't have anything but even if we did i wouldn't speak a diplomatic back it's a it's always a game of words you'll see what i mean and the
6: week before and the week
3: before and the week before
6: of uh, our diplomatic conversations around uh, around this to speak right. well, to how about the
3: footage that arose last week, and, right. the week before, and the week before and the week before and the week before and the week before where there had been you know. similar awfully close instances have you ever gotten a an explanation from the Israelis? Have I've, you ever gotten a finding from the Israelis?
6: I, I'm not going to speak to uh, private diplomatic conversations, Matt. But this is something that uh, we raise continuously with the Israelis. Okay, <laughs> no, have
3: you ever gotten an answer from the Israelis? I, I, I'm, I'm just not going to.
6: I'm not going to speak to the, the privacy God. of certain diplomatic conversations, Matt. When you are asked specific questions like this relating to specific footage. Uh, and this is not the
3: first time that this has happened. You've been asked a, uh, repeatedly about this. And then you always, you come back and say, well, we've raised questions. With you. We've asked the Israelis questions. Have you ever gotten a response to any of those?"
1: Isn't it crazy what it looks like to have somebody finally ask questions? Like before, it used to just be like, yeah, thank you. And that's what you relay on Fox or CNN. Right. But five, like, and Matt Lee's always been pretty good at pushing back. My point is that more and more people are starting to, can, you know, even I don't recognize some of these new people, but they're asking questions, like legitimate questions that put them on the defensive. Thank God. Push for more of that it's that easy to break down their arguments. Yeah, these conversations.
6: conversations are private. We have raised with the Israelis <laughs> specific circumstances, and we have, uh, and you have received answers. Correct. I'm not going to speak to those uh, wait, conversations and you, and right say, now. In any case, are you aware of what the Israelis say mm, we screwed up here? I'm just not going to speak to the private conversations, Matt. Are
4: you planning? to ask about this particular instance
6: or no? I'm just not gonna to speak to specific diplomatic conversations. Do you have any comment
5: to the um, UNRWA saying that the uh, UN shelter was uh, shelled by tanks in and communists uh, that today, next. killing nine people? Uh, they say what well, is a UN shelter? They're calling it a blatant uh,
6: violation of the rules of it, war incredibly Would concerning incredibly concerning leon And uh, when we deplore today's attack on uh, the un's khan Yunus training center um you've heard me say it before you've heard the secretary say it before but uh civilians must be protected so have you asked the israelis to look into this we i'm not matt i'm not going to read out every <laughs> single uh, uh conversation that we have with the israelis or read out every every is-
1: not what he even asked like what a bad response. The point is just had that question. Did you ask about that one? That response right there. You just said you asked. What was the response? Like that isn't like. And you realize that he's act, he's referring to things going all the way back to the beginning. So your argument is we'll just never ever tell you what we found out. Our argument is that we looked into it, and that's supposed to be enough for everybody. It's just that's pretty sad.
6: That, that
3: happens. Single, I don't think you're asking the Israelis to look into this.
1: We,
6: I'm not Matt. I'm not going to read out every single uh, uh, conversation that we have with the Israelis, or read out every I- every issue that every happens.
3: Single, I don't think you're asked, asked every, about every single.
6: Or every issue that happens in the region. Look, that, you've been like
3: twice here in the last three minutes. You've been asked about two specific incidents. Have right. you raised?
6: We continue one? to raise with the our Israeli partners the need and the responsibility that they have to protect uh, U.N. facilities and to protect humanitarian workers. We are asking and engaging about specific incidents, Matt. I'm not going to specifically read them out to you from up here.
3: If they respond to you, you need to come back and tell us what they say.
6: Matt. Certain conversations, uh, diplomatic conversations, sensitive, tough diplomatic conversations uh, are best kept private. Uh, I assure you, though, we are raising these issues directly with our Israeli counterparts uh, and we will continue to do so. Yeah,
1: the point is that Israel doesn't care. They don't care what the U.S. is saying. They don't care. They've only ever used people. This is the reality. So they can't come out and say Israel told us to F off. So they have to go, We raised it. Is that enough? Can we move forward? No, it's not enough.
6: Assurance doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot if you're not able to say that. Uh, I assure you, though, we are raising these issues directly with our Israeli counterparts, uh, and we'll continue to do well, so. Man, assurance doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot if you're not able to say that you've gotten any response. To right. I mean, you are the
3: biggest supporter of the Israeli government, and, and if you can't, if you ask questions about troubling incidents, which you you said just said that this one on Khan con- Yunus, It was incredibly concerning, and we deplore the attack.
6: Matt, we'll intend to continue to have these conversations with the Israeli government and raise these very tough uh, and difficult (laughs) situations.
1: That's all you got. We'll continue to raise the questions. Like, it's just this hamster wheel of nonsense that, again, it's so transparent, it's painful. That's what I said here. This is tough to watch. No one with a brain is confused about what was happening right there. It's self-evidence. The U.S. government is allowing and covering up genocide in real time using willful ignorance. Well, we don't have all the facts. Are you going to ask? I can't comment. This is so stupid. It's, and it's painful because people are dying while they allow this to continue. Now, Felipe Lazzarini, the commissioner general of the United Nations uh, Palestinian Refugee Agency, has said another horrific day in Gaza. This was on the 24th. The number of those killed is likely higher. Kanyunas, Vocational Training Center, that's what he just referenced, and even he says was terrible, deplorable, deplorable, I forget the word he used. One of the largest facilities, sheltering 30,000 people. The compound, as all of them have been, clearly marked as a UN facility. And its coordinates were shared with the Israeli authorities, which is likely why they got bombed. The point is that just because Elon Levy and David Eli and these people online and Ben Shapiro come out and say they're all Hamas doesn't change the legal dynamics of the fact that this is a protected UN location. And if you're going to pretend that they support Hamas, then you damn well better prove that there's a Hamas presence on the, in a school for 30,000 displaced people who are all civilians before you bomb them. And even then, it would still be a war crime because you bombed 30,000 innocent people. It's pretty simple. Once again, a blatant disregard of the rules of war. And this is Thomas White, who is the director of, of the United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency Affairs, saying, attack on Khan Yunis Training Center. This afternoon on the 24th, two tank rounds hit the building that shelters 800 people. This is one of the, one of the buildings. Reports now, now nine of them have been killed, 75 injured. None of them Hamas. All innocent Palestinian people trying to hide. The, the United Nations and the WHO team are trying to reach the center. Agreed upon route with Israeli army is now blockaded with a bank, with, with an earth bank. Think about this. So they are agree, They let them come through and then they block their way to sea because they don't want this being proven. It's also very clear what's going on. And now here is the UNRWA in general. 43,000 displaced people registered in this massively overcrowded shelter now find themselves in the epicenter of war. They've hit this shelter with military operations. He falls up and says, or rather, UNRWA falls up and says, this is the second time in two days they've fired on this location. You think that's an accident? Sanab uh, Agency reports, dozens of martyrs and Israeli bombings of this school, which we just reported for you, but the point is that they've killed innocent people. 24, apparently. Alan McLeod points out, same point. UN officials say shells hit crowded shelter, and <laughs> so stupid. This is a massive war crime, and they can't even say who obviously did it. Now here's the CNN report. Even CNN, which nobody should be trusting. These are lying entities but it shows you so much that they're now being forced to admit. I mean, it's like trying to pretend it's not raining when you're being rained on outside for some political reason. At some point, they have to be like, okay, screw it. We have to say it because everybody can see it because we don't want to lose even what little credibility we might still have. Again, that's what I think, but it certainly could be that we're supposed to see this, question both sides of that. I think all the evidence is plainly clear, but it says it's clear the Israeli army are not respecting their obligations under international humanitarian law.
4: Now getting video out of Hanunis in Gaza, where a UN shelter housing displaced people came under fire today. The UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees says nine people were killed when tank rounds hit the building. 75 others were wounded. It says the compound's exact location had been shared with Israeli authorities, calling the strike a blatant disregard of the rules of war. Palestinian officials say hospitals in the city are also under attack a witness says this video shows nasa hospital being targeted the palestinian red crescent says israeli forces are now surrounding their headquarters at uh, and alama hospital as well the idf says it's pursuing Hamas's mili- uh, hamas military targets and the operation will continue it says for several days Families in the meantime are streaming out of Han Yunus to try to escape the bombardment. You can hear gunfire cracking there as they flee. A UN special rapporteur told CNN today there are simply no words left to describe the depth of the humanitarian catastrophe after three and a half months of war. Well, earlier I spoke to UNRWA's director in Gaza about the deadly attack there on its shelter. Thomas White gave us some context here. Have a listen.
14: These were, you know, people who had fled from their homes in the north, Um, you know, in some cases very early in the war. Um, They were living in the Hanunus Training Centre, you know, which normally houses a couple of thousand students who are learning to be bricklayers and carpenters and learning business uh, and IT skills. This training facility ended up hosting about 40,000 people in and around the training centre, all seeking shelter uh, under a UN flag, and you know, increasingly in the last few days, the situation there has become more and more dangerous. Very clear this afternoon, any sense that there is protection under a UN flag is very clear uh, that the Israeli army are not respecting um, their obligations under international humanitarian law in terms of providing precaution for locations where there are civilians.
1: Right, and you know, you could argue that Hamas there somehow makes it all target, but that the point would be if they're going to, they should be removing people from the area first of all, but secondarily, or even first, prove that that's even the case. All of that matters. You can't just be like, oh, we're in war, so we have to deal with that later. And the U.S. goes, we'll figure it out after the fact. It's just so obvious. On top of that, as the Cradle reports, Israel's brutal aggression on the Gaza Strip has destroyed one thousand. Think about that: a thousand out of twelve hundred mosques. You think that's by accident? It's just, this is a the wholesale destruction of their society. It's a severe destruction that caused the Israeli airstrike in this, uh, um, it's Kafirkila village. And, and this is Lebanon. Like there's point, this is spinning out of control. I have a couple points at the end. I'm determined to go through all this today. So we might even hit four hours. We'll see. Israel's military carried out a massacre last night. And this is one of the locations we just talked about, bombarding an entire residential block killing at least 10 people. Look at this stuff, guys. These are innocent people in innocent locations who are just being wholesale attacked because because that's what they want. The aftermath, and this, this is important that he referenced, Saeed referenced the cemetery, and it's amazing how people dismiss this stuff. It's overwhelmingly obvious. The aftermath of the uh, this is a cemetery in northern Gaza being bulldozed by the army. For what? And guess what? Stealing bodies. And, of course, they tried to cover this up by making other allegations. Here's Sarah claiming, uh, pointing out the Israeli government is stealing Palestinian corpses from cemeteries in Gaza, harvesting organs. The media refuses to cover it. There's a whole breakdown of a bunch of different clips here. My point is I've covered this already. This is a, I mean, it's an open secret, just like the human shield concept. As I wrote, Israel's open secret of Palestinian organ theft. Just look it up. There's been at least five public, wildly public cases over the years where doctors and, and people in the IDF, they were caught. Actually, no, I forget it was the IDF or it was the—basically, the basically, point is, at levels of authority, they have allowed organ theft from corneas to other things multiple times and been caught for it. Israelis overseas have been involved with massive organ harvesting. You can't prove that's connected to the Israeli government or even Israel in general, but it's interesting. But the point is, many cases you can. And so many times already they've been caught, like Al-Shifa, where they stole these bodies, they brought them back for whatever reason, and Euromed monitor came out and said there's multiple bodies missing organs. Nobody cared. But Sarah writes this, and of course this person says, these are horrible accusations. Is there proof of this? Which is fair to ask. Please include the evidence. But what's crazy is it's out there. It's public. They're even now coming out and going, we did it for a reason. (laughs) Here's, this is from the 19th of January. IDF admits digging up Gaza graves. You know why they claim they did it? To make sure there weren't any bodies of hostages. Really? So you're going to dig up every graveyard everywhere? And just to make sure there weren't any hostages that that you're otherwise shooting down in the streets? You can prove that they were, here's the point. These ones that they took, they're taking bodies. Why would they take bodies if they're looking for hostages? Easy question to ask. And then the ones that were brought back, as I cover in this show, were missing organs per human rights organizations. It's an open secret. Now, in general, guys, all of what we're showing you, it's so very clear that these people are on a destructive path and that they do not care about human life. And that seemingly they want this to break down. They don't want hostage deals. They want to achieve what they're going to achieve, which I'll show you next. But Mohammed Shihada points out the same person that did it last time, the heritage minister, calls for dropping a nuclear bomb on Gaza, and then even goes on to brag that the International Criminal Court knows of his intentions. They don't care. Aside from being genocidal, Mohammed writes, this formal admission of Israel's nuclear arms, and we talked about this last time, makes e- U.S. aid illegal under the 1976 U.S. Uh, Simington Amendment, however you pronounce that. We've covered this already. The point is that if, if the U.S. is not allowed to give aid to a country that has nuclear weapons, in the sense of, or I think it's either that or the, or the secret or not knowledge. Either way, if Israel has nuclear weapons, it is illegal for them to be aiding them. That's why they've always allowed them to have what they call nuclear ambiguity. It's the only country in the world. And they've accidentally admitted it. Even Netanyahu very sheepishly said it one time and made this really dumb face. And everyone laughed. They, they, they know, everybody knows they've got nuclear weapons. And now their second time threatening to nuke Gaza. Is that is that only gonna is it only nukes for Hamas? Is that how that works? Or clearly, it's about all of Palestine. Now, Solomon Ahmad points out that we've shown you many of these, and y- look, you can find examples of Palestinians doing similar things or schools where they teach similar things. And on either side of this, you can understand why there might be some developing animosity. The point, though, is to show you beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Israeli popul- the the, it, the infrastructure, the government. Had taught the population, which is why you can see that the majority want to see Gaza destroyed, to think that they are lesser than. I mean, that is what the Zionist state is in and of itself. That's why I played Avi Shalom's clip, that they're lesser than, they're not equal. Here's Israeli children chanting violence against Palestinians. May your village burn down. As he writes, who is indoctrinating with the hate from a young age, Elon Musk. Now, look, there's a lot of arguments you can find about Palestinian schools and so on. But most of these examples, I can't really end up finding like there's one going around right now where one of these IDF members is sitting down with some puzzle he found. How do we know that's where you found it? And how do we know? And quite frankly, when you look at the puzzle itself, it seems to suggest that everyone's out to attack. And Palestinians are throwing rocks. Like, and they point to the guns that are like on the Egypt side, on the other side. It's like, what are you trying to explain here? That they're only throwing rocks? Like, it's, but of course, they make it into you teaching them hatred. Well, you're teaching them the fact that they're occupied and the fact that the Israeli Zionist entity has been completely stealing their existence from this. Like, how is that not going to drive animosity? In the same, you got the Israeli government teaching these people that these are all a bunch of rabid Arab monsters that will rape your women. It's the same thing back and forth. But what we're seeing is one side with lots of power and the ability to commit genocide, actually doing it with the support of much of the population. Here's another example. A video from an Israeli school saying, Al-Aqsa Mosque will collapse and explode, disappear. I want to, I feel like I want to kill them all, an Arabic kid. That there will be Arabs, but they will be slaves. There'll be massive war and all the Arabs will die. You can listen, it's all subtitled, you can watch it for yourself. Just understand that it's not a one-sided thing. They're actively teaching this hatred. Now, in regard to the aid that's arriving, which showing you the de- the desperate hate for these people, not Hamas, but anybody that might still exist in Gaza. This is Times of Gaza reporting that the occupation forces have opened fire on Gaza on Gaza City, waiting for the arrival of humanitarian aid. This is not the first time. Have you Now, the
9: forces
1: People have died.
9: While while him. Him.
1: Now ask yourself, since they're in control of the aid flow, why they would allow aid to go to a location where they might otherwise say Hamas was present? Think about that. Because their argument is inevitably going to be Hamas was there doing X, Y, and Z. Well, you put the aid there. The point is. They're ultimately creating a broad justification to just kill whoever's around anytime they utter the word Hamas. And, you're, and the U.S. rules-based international order government doesn't care about any of that. You get the point from that. Here's another example. Khaleesi shared this. Brothers Zaid and Nahid from Gaza were killed by Israeli murderers today, just like you saw before from the eye, uh, from where the guy was waving the white flag. Israeli occupation soldiers shot Zaid, who went out to get food from the aid trucks. And then Nahid, his brother, who tried to save his brother's body by carrying him back, was then also shot. This, this image should be burned into your memory. Two brothers shot on top of each other. One of them, who you can literally see, was holding a white flag. Think about that. They shot them because they were there. Because they dared to go out into public when you provided aid, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what might actually be needed for desperately hungry people putting out cans that look like food that are bombs, and as they go to get it, you shoot him. As he goes to rescue his brother, you shoot him on top of him while he's holding a white flag. There's just no misunderstanding what's really going on here. On top of all of that, here are Israelis proudly blocking humanitarian aid into Gaza. So you could argue that Israel's not doing it, but either way, here are Israelis who are proudly blocking the aid. And you can watch the video, they're just chanting and standing in front of these trucks, not letting them pass. Here is, for the second day in a row, Israelis protesting at the border crossing, preventing aid from coming in. And in case you think for one second that the Israeli government might not know about this, here is Mossad commenting publicly, thank you to all came out yesterday to prevent the aid to reach Hamas, of course. Otherwise, reaching anybody else who might also be in the area who you claim you're trying to support they're actively stopping this now if you think it's only just these israelis you'd also be wrong because it is actively happening and always has been since the beginning here is all the aid back look at how many trucks are backed up you realize that's all the aid they bring in a truck here's a couple of bags and i'll shoot you while you get it there are hundreds of trucks just waiting much of which ends up probably going bad If there's some that might in there, but it says all, I imagine these days, they'd probably try out to send things that could go bad. This is all aid being prevented from entering Gaza where you have 2 million starving people. That's what's happening. On top of that, it's, this is important. And you could, do you, we need, it's important context to understand that Egypt and Israel are not on good terms right now. Not even the government, the people have always hated Israel and Egypt, the CC government, who is a puppet, They're not happy right now because he's been blaming Egypt for everything. So he spoke up. He says, the president of Egypt says, I'm very hurt by the words that Egypt is the very reason aid is not reaching Gaza, which has been their excuse. First, it's, oh, Hamas won't let it through. And then it becomes self-evident that they're not even in control of either side of this. So they go, well, Egypt is involved with not, they're holding it up. Funny how the narrative just shifts when they didn't didn't stick. Let's try something else. The Rafa crossing is open 24-7, he says. But Israel is blocking the aid. It was in my hands, if it was in my hands and I prevented aid from reaching Gaza, where would I go before God? You could argue he's lying, but guess what? There's an overwhelming body of evidence showing you that they do have control of it and that they're actively trying to stop it in every possible way, even going as far as going, hooray, good for you for doing what we're also doing, blocking the aid. Now, while that's happening, while Israel's knowingly blocking it, pretending it's anybody else's fault, here's a nice little video about an, an American in Israel parading around all the food they have while they're fighting people who are starving.
8: Here in Gaza, we aren't eating our meals at the local restaurants. We're carrying our food in these boxes, which are good for four soldiers for 24 hours. So to start off with our
1: so They can clearly get food in there for all sorts of people, but not the starving people they claim they're trying to fight for, right?
8: Main source of protein for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we have our tuna. And for the side dishes, we have corn, we have chickpeas, and we have... All this, Now we're putting all these ingredients in this super uh, healthy white bread. And to make our sandwiches not as dry, we will have ketchup.
1: I mean, why do you even post this? To be quite honest, what's the point other than to kind of parade this around people who are starving that you're fighting them while eating all this food?
8: Dessert will have halva and, of course, pineapple, which acts as a double dessert because it's the pineapple pieces and the pineapple juice we get super creative. Tuna with corn. Tuna with corn and chickpeas. And on some days, tuna with corn and chickpeas and pineapple and halva. Don't ask me why. But because we know we're gonna be here for a while, we like to upgrade our sandwiches. So instead of bread, we'll bring tortillas. Instead of uh, tuna, we'll bring these meat sticks, which I would never eat outside of the army because of the color. But hey, right now they're saving us. For dessert, we'll have uh, bamba. from home, I brought Quest Bars, so shout out to Quest for satisfying my hunger at 3 a.m. Liquid IV. On special occasions, I'll pull out the flaming Hot Cheetos. And last but not least are the sauces. tina which is, of course, really good. But the holiest of all holies, and I don't care how heavy my bag is, I will always carry the one and only Sriracha.
1: And that must be nice, right? have all these extra benefits and extra different choices of what you can eat and desserts and all the sauces you could lay must be really nice while you're actively starving innocent people. Disgusting. Here's the Wall Street Journal. This is from 22nd of this month. Tiny Gaza is home to most of the world's, most of the world's hungriest people. So you put out a video about what you're eating? Why? I think it's quite obvious. Now here is Rami Arari journalist saying that the un humanitarian corridor for palestine for palestine says israel recently added insulin pens for children to a list of prohibited items of course they did because it's all about saving them right that you're not allowed to enter gaza and he does and that's one of the reasons they keep pointing out there's all these random no like prohibited items so they get the hold of everything to search through the trucks to make sure none of it's on there and then half of it can't come in and then it just never ends up making it and he does not know why They prohibited insulin pens. Well, I do, because they hate these people. He adds that the medicine for chronic illnesses are also not allowed. How do you possibly explain that? Well, it's obvious. That is not to mention that critical banned supplies, he mentioned, which are urgently needed for water and sanitation, such as pumps, generators, spare parts, pipes, solar panels, medical equipment, aren't being allowed. Some of it is medical material, such as basic drugs and material for treating not just trauma, but chronic illnesses. One example would be most recently, the pens that are used for insulin for children have been recently put on that list. In terms of the reasons for rationale for it, I really can't explain what, what this is because I don't know. We are currently in discussions with the Israeli authorities to look at ways how we can examine that list. And it is and what which they think is prohibited items and find ways we can get these released because they are going to be essential commodities that's exactly why they're being blocked okay so realize this is ridiculous to me this is a member a UN humanitarian coordinator I think I said a coordinator right working with COGAT, an Israeli entity, In back and forth conversations about what they can allow, we already know they put all sorts of things on the list that Egypt has pointed out, other governments have pointed out, and what do they do? The same thing they do about everything else. Elon Levy comes out and lies about it. This is just made up. Israel has placed no limits on the entrant of medicines and medical supplies. Are you effing kidding me? I mean, I think everybody knows that's happening, including the fact that they were even forced to bring in those fake boxes with big 90s printed out medical supplies on the side, which turned out to be things they planted in the Sheeper Hospital. But why would you have been forced to bring in all these random boxes if you're letting it come in through? It's just so absurd. They, I mean, what else are you going to do? I guess everyone knows you're lying. You know, you're lying. We all see right through. See so what you have got to go after it. Liar. You're racist. You hate Jews. Is that does that work for anybody? Insulin pens are not on the dual list. So it's funny how that's all, but everything else is, though. <laughs> the point is the guy is in the middle of these negotiations and you're pretending he's not. It's obvious this is happening. Watch. Watch as it goes forward. If, and the, all they do is probably, oh, he works for Hamas now. Gabriel El- Z- uh, Elise Ondo, on, Elise Ondo, interesting name, writes uh, Robert Wood. Deputy U.S. Ambassador, and this is he's a correspondent for Al Jazeera, English, Gabriel, Deputy U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. stopped by the stakeout on his way to a United Nations Security Council, Haiti briefing. He was asked, among other things, if the U.S. still thinks the International Court of Justice genocide case is meritless. He says, we do. Of course they do. That's the quadrupling down. What are they going to do? It doesn't represent, you know, one thing it could do is, you know, not be a genocide supporting government. But, you know it says it doesn't represent what happened on the ground what the the everything they cited which you can literally prove so the, they they're desperate that's how our that's our view but the court will make a decision on that he says so what happened on the ground then what so what's the reality he says it's a terrible terrible situation we've said this many times before platitude after platitude we're very concerned about the humanitarian situation that we continue to ignore and obviously the loss of life has been horrible, that we act isn't like isn't a problem and that we are trying to do And what we're trying to do when our policies is to be geared toward doing is to try to first and foremost get humanitarian assistance in the situation as they're actively keeping that from happening and to get the hostages out as they bomb where they might be. It's all so flimsy. So we're going to continue to work on this. And again, we're thinking about the day after blah, blah, blah. And then he responds. But uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov said yesterday it's too early to think about the day after because Palestinians are dying today. Of course, to them, Palestinians don't matter, so they skip past it. He said you can talk about the day after if there's still bombs being dropped on them, or you can't. Do you have a response to that? I mean, it's kind of obvious. Look, you're claiming you're fighting for Palestinians against Hamas, right? They're dying now. So why is it that you push off their plight to after you end up continuing the thing that keeps taking their lives? It's because they don't care about them. But here's how he responds. You certainly have to think about the day after. And I think you've heard the interviews in the room. Folks are very concerned about moving toward the need to move towards a two-state solution. <laughs> We're, they're very concerned about moving toward the need to move towards a, new state, a two-state solution. The very two-state solution that Netanyahu and his team are proudly saying they'll never allow. So this is what they're saying? That we need to focus on the day after for a thing that they'll tell you will never happen? It's all completely, it's smoke and mirrors, guys. So people are thinking about that he says, you know, I really don't pay much attention to what the Russians say to be honest. Yeah, big surprise. Here is Kenneth Roth, former executive director of Human Rights Watch, saying as if Net, the article says Netanyahu pushes most pro-Israel US Democrats to take previously unimaginable measures and steps, like basically showing that is this is what I this is actually what I really think is part of this or almost all of it. That Israel's Zionist belligerence just straight to full genocide immediately after something that they could have marshaled into support more than they've ever seen before, which would have been a shock. I think mean, the support they've had this whole time is unparalleled. Had they had they stopped after October 7th, went to the UN and made the argument that this was unprecedented. I mean, they'd never, they would have had support to the teeth. Instead, they went full genocide and now everybody can see what they are. But what's crazy about it is these people who are pro Israel are, being pushed into supporting things that are so transparent. And I think that's that's what, I'm, what I mean is that everything they've done has exposed the bigger picture. And yes, part of this could be organized and planned and allowed to happen. These are questions we should ask. But the true point for, that I keep coming back to is that the Zionist entity has cashed in too many chips and people now see what was always going on. Now, it says, all, it, it says, as if Netanyahu's attitude hasn't been clear for years, which I agree with. Quote, all signs indicate that Netanyahu's repeated dismissal of the potential two-state solution could serve as one of the final blows to continue democratic support for the Israel's, Israel's war in Gaza. Because they keep pretending that's coming. Now, here is a couple points to show you that, the, I mean, from average society all the way to the top of the government, they're now being public about it. Not only are we never going to allow that, we're going to settle in Gaza which is what we keep telling you was going to happen. That was always the plan. And your government is still pretending like that's not the case. Here's Torah Judaism saying theft and occupation are ingrained in the genes of the Zionists. Israeli Zionist families have prepared their cars and banners, and they're waiting to move to Gaza. The text on the banners quite literally read conquer, settle, win. That's what this says. Oh, you know what? I thought this was in, actually download this real quick. I thought this was in in, uh, Hebrew. You can listen to what they're saying here. So basically, this you, you have settled, you know, Israeli average Israeli people who are proudly putting up statements that are telling you the very thing that the U.S. government pretends is completely fake, and if you say it, you're a racist. That's how obvious all of this has gotten. So here is the little clip we were just looking at.
2: Really, families are gathering here because they want to go and live in Gaza, which they sometimes call Gush Katif, even as war continues to bring death and destruction to Palestinians in the Strip. Their signs read, only settlements will bring security and conquering,
4: settling, winning. You look in the Torah and you see, very simple, the the answer there, you know, that Israel belongs to the Jews and Gaza is Israel. Doesn't mean that you're not allowed to live here if you're not Jewish, no. No. But at the same time, it belongs to the Jews.
1: Right. So you're allowed to live next to us as a secondary person, but everything else is fine. Like, that's a Zionist mentality. There's plenty of Jews that aggressively disagree with that. And so one of the groups in that case, Torah Judaism, goes on to say, the text on the banner, conquer, settle, win, radical Zionists currently living in Israel looking forward to the end of the Gaza war, because when Gazans leave Gaza, which is their plan, and they stated this from the beginning, if you're listening, they will rush into a race to grab land in Gaza. Zionists are lying to the eyes of the world. They use Hamas as an excuse to attack Gaza because their aim is to take over Gaza completely, which is their opinion. There's which I agree, you know, part of that is what's happening. Here are Israeli politicians. They're saying, "We want to colonize Gaza." This is in Hebrew. It's saying in exchange for what they we are what they are doing, we will colonize the country. There are already 7 settlements aiming to settle the Gaza strip. And yet we are told that's racist to say is happening. It's so crazy how obvious all this is. Here's the Israeli Minister of National Security, Ben Gabir, telling you that ethnic cleansing is how this is going to work, starting with a pilot of 100 to 200,000. After this pilot, I believe they can have a bet- better lives in other countries. Like you were talking about killing, ethnic cleansing, displacement. All of these are open war crimes. Here's another horrifying statement. It says, while thousands of bodies of dead Palestinians still lie under the rubble, Israeli illegal settlers are openly, on this newscast, planning to move to Gaza as soon as possible, they're saying, publicly. They are ready to live in their tents or abandoned houses. They want to take over Gaza as quickly as possible. It's in Hebrew, but you can listen to for yourself. They're openly talking about it. Now, here is the IDF illegally demolishing homes in the West Bank. So if you really wanted to fully understand that this is not just about, you know, Hamas isn't in the West Bank. You can argue that they're sympathizers and so on, but this has been a very clear conversation. So the entire time they've been kidnapping, killing, letting settlers do whatever they want to, and now continuing the illegal destruction of their homes. It shows you that it's not just Gaza. It's all of occupied Palestine. They've already taken all of Israel, which is Palestine. Now the West Bank and Gaza are actively being removed. IDF illegally demolishing homes in the West Bank during all of this for future legal settlements. Are we still pretending this has anything to do with Hamas? This is them standing at the ruins of their home, which they, they make them pay for, by the way. They make them pay for the destruction of their own home. Here's another example. This is the West Bank. Currently, as uh, Furkan writes, there can be zero explanation for this, zero justification. They are using bulldozers to bulldoze the roads in the West Bank. Why exactly? Is that somehow, is Hamas under the roads? No, or are you just destroying their infrastructure? And your government's allowing this. Pretty much anywhere you are, to be quite honest, other than Yemen. Here, Quds News Network breaks down. This is what the Israeli IDF members are saying. From Hebron to Nablus, if you utter a word, we will crush your appearance. Oh, so you're going to kill anybody that says anything. And the point is, what they're saying is threatening people, even in the West Bank, if they speak out against this. Here is an, an illustrative photo, but what they're saying is the Commission of Detainees Affairs and Palestinian Society Prisoners Club say that Israeli forces have kidnapped at least 30 Palestinians in the West Bank just last night, the 24th, including former detainees, family members who are wanted. The point is, guys, just like I told you, the last little temporary pause, they've scooped up more, far more since that, including the people they already let out. That's why their temporary pauses are nothing but an illusion. And they're... These people aren't being charged with crimes. They're just being put in prison cells, as even the UN has broken down. Now, to finish on a couple different points about both the ceasefire, but also quickly foreign policy, I found this interesting. Not only have we seen Yemen have a very strong effect against the importation of anything into Israel, Iraq has now shut down the port of, he- of Haifa, which is an important maritime gateway to Israel. So it's just showing you there cutting this down, by the way, using the same tactics that the, they have always been using against these countries individually. Suddenly, a little bit of just desserts, no? Here is the Ansaral leader, known otherwise known as the Houthis to the Western governments. Since the beginning of our operations in the Red Sea, this is the Yemeni government, 4,874 commercial ships have crossed. That's the important thing. They're acting like nobody's been able to do anything. Nope, that's not the truth. They say, which is a very large number during this period. We will continue our operations until food and medicine reach all parts of the Gaza Strip. The point is they're stopping currently Israeli associated and now to, I'm not sure to what degree but there was the US and UK ships that they've already been targeting. Not killing anybody. In fact, not even seeking the ship. The the uh, Ocean Jazz one that they had the 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 little skirmish with is as far as I could tell still moving. So the point is, they're actively using like uh, kinetic but almost nonviolent tactics to stop these people from going through while the U.S. government responds with murdering people in Yemen, civilians and Houthi members alike. But it's had a very powerful effect, and that's the whole point. Heavy losses at the Israeli port. They're saying, literally, we don't even have ships anymore. That is why they're so terrified about this. There's nothing to do with international shipping lanes because other people are still actively doing so. And I'll show you the clip of the image in a second. It's about specifically what they need to be able to relay this in Israel, which is what they've been doing to Syria, Iraq, everybody, cutting off the spy lines and choking them out.
4: The ongoing crisis in the Red Sea is having a profound impact on the southern Israeli port of Eilat, which has experienced around three billion U.S. dollars in direct economic losses as its key import and export business has been brought largely to a halt by Houthi attacks. The port is southern Israel's only outlet to the Red Sea and one of the country's most critical trade ports.
2: All the cargo that come to Eilat through Bab Mandab from the Far East, it's mean China. Japan, Korea, India is not coming because the ships are afraid to go through to Bab el So we don't have any ships anymore from the 1st of December.
4: The port mostly deals in the import of automobiles and the export of potassium fertilizer to the Asia-Pacific region. The crisis is also threatening Israel's two other international ports, with the transshipment scope of all the country's ports reduced by 70%.
1: How long have we talked about? I was trying to find the map. I guess I didn't pull it up. It's not showing all the ships. I, forget. I don't think you have to have an account on this one. But you guys can look this up. The point is that right now, I don't, since I got the map up, I can show you. How long have we talked about this? This is the Red Sea. Here's the el Mandeb Strait. This has been the central reason, in my opinion, that they have been fighting to occupy all of Yemen to control this strait, which is now currently one of the parts they're most afraid of. Right? because ultimately, you have to remember they're they have to if they're coming in here, they usually go through the Suez Canal, through the Bab el Mandeb Strait. You know, if you don't, if you can't maneuver this area, you have to understand, either through the Strait of Hormuz or the Bab el Mandeb Strait, you have to literally go all the way around Africa, or all the way around Asia. It's just it's it's crazy the difference it makes. So the point is that they've shut this down now, both here as well as with the Strait of Hormuz, and also all effectively kind of firing around this area. Now, assuming Egypt doesn't somehow come on board as well, they have basically shut down the flow of goods and needs from militarily to Israel. I think that's important. So, as this says, I totally reject... Oh, here it is. I know I had to, I know an image. It says, I totally reject the Houthis' claims that attacking ships from around the world is somehow linked to the conflict in Gaza. <laughs> They're so feeble about this. What do you mean aside from the fact that they're telling you that's why they're doing it? What, just why? It's just so funny. It's obvious that they're doing this to stop them. And they told you the moment that you press the ceasefire will stop this. And he just goes, I reject that because doing acknowledging that forces you to have to care about the genocide. But the point is you can plainly see there's a lot of traffic still going through. And that's why you can see ships. And again, this is the Bob, Bob Mandib Strait. You can see ships that are now putting up on their cores, their their, uh, transponder or whatever, that not associated with Israel, and they're letting them go by. Pretty interesting. Now, Arnaud Bertrand writes absolutely unreal. The U.S. isn't, we have to have a laugh about this. Just like we talked about with Venezuela, right? Where Guaido is the only legitimate president, and anything else is a threat to our democracy until, oops, we need oil. So get out of here, Guaido. We're going to work with Maduro again. Nothing is sacred to these people. So U.S. is now begging China to bail them out of the mess. They put themselves in with Yemen. Beijing's response, as per the article, is that, quote, the Red Sea tension is a spillover from the Gaza conflict, which should be ended as soon as possible. (laughs) Exactly, which is the obvious reality. So all China said was, end end what's going on in Gaza. And there your problem solved, which it would be. The Gaza conflict, which the U.S. could end tomorrow if it finally dared to use its considerable leverage it has with Israel. But no, crazily enough, which shows you something, They'd rather go through the humiliation of begging their main geopolitical rival to bail them out rather than than do anything to reign in Israel, which they, he says beggars belief. Until I think you realize that the Zionist government has something over the US government, which by the way, you can see that during the Epstein conversation as was pretty much proven Acosta, um Was it Acosta? I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. You know, and multiple other examples where they admit that he was both Mossad and CIA or at the very least worked with both of them. So the point is it's part of that and who knows what it is, why you would literally ruin even your own support as Biden for the next election to keep this going. There's something else going on here. That's my opinion. But think about what it would take for the U.S. to stand up and go, China, help. Instead of, I mean, it's just, it's unreal. You can read it for yourself. U.S. urges China to help curb Red Sea attacks. It's just pathetic. Turkey is now imposing economic sanctions on Israel. Turkey, a NATO ally, has decided to remove Israel from its list of export destinations. They're getting completely boxed out. This is a good thing. Now, finally, I want to end with this. It looks like we're going to get product right to four hours. I haven't done that in a while. There's the, the call for ceasefire has now expanded in a lot of different ways, including groups like governors of chicago that previously would have been block step into the argument and i think it's because as i've always said in this case with this guy it seems genuine to me but most of them and we should at least consider that just because they say the thing that's right doesn't ever always mean it doesn't always mean that it's because they care it's just that they recognize a political advantageous moment like I said with Putin in the past, is it that he is the good guy fighting for freedom or is it he recognizing and that ultimately playing that role is obviously powerful in contrast to the belligerence of the U.S. government? Or you could, you could mean both or it could mean one or the other. You can decide for yourself. My point is that you're going to see a lot of these people now calling for ceasefire. I think it's because they just go, well, I might get some negative points or some press pushback or loss of X, Y, and Z by making this line, but they'll win a hell of a lot of support from the people that can keep them in power. I think that's largely what's happening. But this one, you'll see what I mean. The Labour Party councillor shaking while announcing he's leaving his own party because he just can't allow the genocide. I think this is important. And I actually, my gut tells me that this guy means what he's saying. But you can decide for yourself. Either way, people are standing up and pushing back. I came home yesterday. My
9: five-year-old daughter, who was watching the news the previous night with me, saw so images of what was going on in Gaza. She said to me, Dad, what have you done about the videos you were watching? That absolutely broke me. So today with a heavy heart I have been an active member and supporter of the Labour Party all my life. Since the age of 14. I believe in its views and principles, but unfortunately, under the current leadership, the Labour Party has let me down. I can no longer be part of this institution after a sport of an apartheid state that is killing thousands of millions of people. I've been killed over 25,000 people in the last 100 days. It's with a heavy heart I leave the
1: party I always loved. God, I hate that stupid TikTok thing. It lessens everything. But, you know, again, you never know. My gut tells me that is what a human being looks like. That is what a person who is confronted with the moral reality of what he's dealing with, who just can't. He has integrity. He can't stare his child in the face and say, I'm doing nothing to stop that. That's what he's doing. He's taking action at his own expense because he believes in that. That's what I feel that reality was. But at the very least, I know that there are people like that. I feel like that's what a lot of us are doing. Putting your stick in your neck out, getting attacked for it because this needs to stop. Now, I don't know whether it attacks against me right now are related to this one topic or not, but I sure as hell feel attacked. Long before this, being censored literally everywhere, now being sued multiple times for nonsensical things because I think people are desperate to stop what's going on. Too late, though. Cat's out of the bag. But good for him for having the courage to stand behind his beliefs. I mean, what are you what, what are you doing out there if you're listening to this? What are you going to tell your families when something goes forward? You, you look back and you say, I didn't do anything. The, the biggest genocide we've ever seen in our lifetimes, if not one of the biggest ever, Going forward, you know, in in the context of, you know, per capita or however you want to frame it, clearly, unprecedented, what did you do to stop that? Did you say anything? Did you stand up for people? I sure as hell did. You sure as hell did. People were, you. we at the very least can remember that. Here, Megatron points out, Finland's foreign minister, Alina Veltonen, in a message to Israel, quote, I will be clear, she says, Israel's time for self-defense is past." Now, I disagree with that. There was never a time where this was self-defense. But regardless, she's simply saying that argument is over. Good for her because it's a stupid argument to begin with when you're acting in the way against an entire population under a guise against one group. But it says enough is enough. The residents of the Gaza Strip need a humanitarian ceasefire immediately. She added that the Israeli government, quote, did not do enough to protect them. Or didn't do anything as Amnesty proved in their own investigation. They targeted civilians. Megatron said, This is uh, the Israeli government has not done enough to protect us. I don't know why he wrote that. Anyway, that's the point is this is what she's saying. A lot of people are standing up. Here's what I said before. You can listen to it for yourself. It's basically just him repeating it. But this is the mayor of Chicago saying he's calling for a ceasefire. Now, that's interesting to me. This is beginning to fall apart even in, in very specific ways. British foreign minister. David Cameron. I mean, I don't trust any of these people. In fact, I know, I, could, I I could. would bet my life that this is not him caring about this. This is him recognizing the writing on the wall, like I keep saying. He says, we want to see an immediate humanitarian ceasefire for which we can move to a sustainable ceasefire. But then he goes on to say, it's unrealistic to ceasefire while Hamas is able to fire rockets. What are you talking about? It's a ceasefire. It means that they stop. If Hamas fires rockets, the ceasefire ends. So this, ba- this kind of game they're playing where their very presence means you can't do it, is it's an illusion. A ceasefire is necessary to extract the hostages. Right, and they're offering one for the hostages. And you guys keep saying no. Israel will not accept the Hamas running the Gaza Strip. The point is, he's acting like, but th- my point in showing you this is he's still towing mostly all the lines, but he suddenly started to shift into the ceasefire argument. They're all falling into it because they're cowards. They they can't even pick a side and stick with it, right? But here's Russia as well. Calls for an immediate ceasefire. The Russian foreign minister insists that on an instant halt to hostilities in Gaza, deeming the displacement of Palestinians as intolerable. He emphasized the pressing requirement to establish a Palestinian state and expressed reservations regarding Israel's position on the two-state solution, which is that they don't care about it, don't want it, won't allow it. Venezuela, Maduro of all people. Funny how all the evil bad guys are standing up for the innocent people being killed. It says, we cannot be silent. We will not be silent. Venezuela will continue to speak with its own voice to say, stop the genocide against Palestinian people. Ceasefire in Gaza, enough bombing, enough murder. And of course, here's what the U.S. had to say.
11: General ceasefire.
1: Yes. For the same reason
11: that we have in the past. We don't believe a ceasefire um, is going to be to the benefit of anybody uh, but Hamas.
1: Right, because we don't care about any of the civilians that are being murdered in real time, that seemingly everybody, including your own allies, keep saying we need to do something about. Just realize what this shows you. The U.S. government is especially problematic in all of this. I mean, I'm an American. I can be honest about what my government is, just like there are a lot of Israelis that are willing to be honest about what their government is. We, as the peoples, need to recognize that we can be honest about this. They are not good people. They're actively using human life to achieve their own ends, and we can all see it. Now, right now, there's some level of this being used to call out what Israel is and always has been as the Zionist entity, but we need to start utilizing this momentum to do a lot more. We see this. I know you see it. I know people watching this see it. I know people that are even skeptical about any number of other things we talked about are beginning to see it because it's being forced in front of you by everybody at this point. Their own own media calling this out, discussing the lies. Well, every human rights group across the board, the United Nations, Oxfam, all of them, and now even U.S. allies, U.S. states, everybody. And yet still, it seems to continue. I think we just need to continue to push. I mean, you can't just stop them from acting. They're going to continue to do what they're going to do. But we need to, at the very least, do our best to use the truth to try to change the situation because I'm just not okay with how many people are suffering. Nobody should be. And these are innocent people. So continue to stand up for people that don't have a voice. I just think it's monumentally important. But thank you for tuning in today, guys. I think this was an important show for a lot of different reasons, but we'll continue as always. We have a lot more coming out. I'm going to be putting out some extra posts tomorrow, I believe. But if you'd like to support this platform, because you know, despite the attacks on me and me personally and the platform, I'm never going to stop. I'm always going to keep fighting for you because you fight for me. And if you'd like to support us, there's lots of ways down below to do so. So thank you for tuning in. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.